two, one. Demons. Demons. Demons be gone. Demons. Yeah, I'll, I'll take them. I'll just, you know. Just if, absorb if, them into your soul. Sure. Enough. And, you and know. kill them with your own darkness. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably possible, you know. Just uh, a beard alone might scare them off. Could be. I've, I've definitely always got the soundtrack for it. How long have you been drawing that fucker? That's, uh, that's a real one. That's a man's beard. This thing actually has taken quite a long time. I am not of the sort who who is prone to growing facial hair and chest. Like, it took me until probably 36 before I had a single chest hair. What? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, I blame the uh, the Native American side of my wow. family. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 I've got back hair now, like full back hair. Something over the last, like, from the time I was, like, probably like 35, I started growing, like, serious back hair. Now I'm 52, and, uh, you know. I'm 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 not like who's that Russian wrestler dude? Is this one? Oh, uh, well, there was this guy uh, uh, Victor Zangief who who actually did professional wrestling. That guy was just coated in it. Oh yeah, right. And there was another guy, Salman Hashimikov, also. <laughs> He's just a fur coat. Who was the? There was one wrestler who had he'd done a bunch of films and stuff. Uh, George the Animal Steel. Oh, well, yeah, him. He's yeah. about as hairy was, uh, as a human gets. a math teacher or something like was that really? in real life? Yeah. That's Yeah, look at him. <laughs> Full-on gorilla. I mean, that guy was a fucking werewolf. <laughs> look at the hair on him. Well, Jesus you know, Christ. When, when you got a head like that, it's like you're always walking under a full moon. Yeah, he's, he was in a bunch of, like, art house movies. I could see that. Well, there was also a guy named uh, Tor something who was in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh. And he was also a professional wrestler. Well, I mean, they're acting all the time. Is this like the hairiest wrestlers? Is that what you pulled up? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I was looking for the Russian guy. I bet, you, I bet you if you put in the hairiest wrestler's feet, I'm sure that would show up too. Yeah, the Russian guy is a current competitive grappler, and he's built like a brick shit house, and he's covered in hair. Yeah, he's like he's everything. Hairy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not naturally all that prone to being particularly hairy. But your beard is so uniform. It's beautiful. It's like the front part is dark and the sides are mm. perfectly white. I mean, doesn't get any better than that, yeah, dude. You know, it's it's just, it's coming in kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I use all the right lotions and tinctures, unguents. Do, do you use lotions no, on it? No, no. I don't, no, no I'm, that doesn't I'm look like you do. not a very high-maintenance guy. Uh, every now and again, I will put some beard oil in it, but that's about it. Beard oil. Beard yeah. oil. And it's mainly because I'm just trying to keep the, the the knots out of it. Yeah, people will look down upon you if you groom your beard hair in any way for some strange reason. I have seen that. Like, it's oh, very you, weird. You, think, you think a razor touches this? <laughs> Okay? I mean, uh, possibly. <laughs> like, you can yeah. shave, but you can't trim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you got to let this shit just go to nature. This is full will to power right here. It just does what it wants to do and gets stronger every day. Like, if you took your pubic hairs and you made, like, a crown. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You yeah, just, you, uh, you just, uh, you can't do that. Formulated that into <laughs> your, your, uh, <laughs> your, your monument to your cock. Yeah. Who was uh, the dude? There was a guy who was a UFC fighter. Did uh, he? Who uh, had a hair up. And, and oh, Brian. Brian Ebersol? Yes. Or, uh, Brian something Ebersol. like that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah he's really a, he's a kook. skillful guy. Very, very skillful. Very slick. He was a guy that had fuck man. He's like a Jeremy Horn type character with like a hundred plus fights. Yes, there he is. Yeah, <laughs> I never saw a guy more calm, cool, and collected in a fight before. You know, I'm surprised that he has it pointing upwards, uh, like you know, mm. hit here instead of. Uh, but I guess the nature of chest hair is, is as such. Yeah, maybe just want to avoid nut shots. 
<laughs> well, there you go. You got the, the, the very there. manicured one. Yeah, yeah, that one. I like that one a lot. He probably uh, waxed uh, to, to finish that off. You yeah, get that, those nice lines. Had someone do it. Someone Oof. really talented. <laughs> That's like a broadhead. <laughs> I mean, that looks like like a real serious broadhead. Like, oh goodness! Like he knows what he's doing. He's out there. He ain't fucking around when it comes to his chest hair. Yeah, that guy, he um, just, I don't know what happened. He just stopped. I don't know if, I don't think he's, I I'll, think he retired, but he uh, had so many, so many fights. Well, you got to figure, you know, what, what is the, what, what is the, the length of time that you can continue to be an athlete? And yeah. I've, I've, I've said this to a lot of folks, and that is, you don't know what your athletic window is. Right. Um, especially when you create something exceptional like uh you start if you're an olympic athlete or you're a world-class athlete or professional athlete as you continue to move up the ladder of uh difficulty so to speak the shorter the window is that you yeah. can compete at that level obviously but uh everybody's athletic window is limited so mm -hmm. the, the length of time you can be a competitive fighter is you know who knows how long i guess i've seen some stats that say mm, over five years, it starts to decline. Over seven, or around seven, it really starts to take a nosedive. Yeah, they say for a pro MMA fighter, it's like you have nine years to compete at a very high level. Hmm. But that's who's they. And, and even then, that nine years is still more towards the tails and not mm -hmm. and not into the middle of it. And, uh, I mean, a lot of folks, you'll see them, you'll get to the UFC. They are there for about three Four years, and then even towards that tail end of that four years, it's like they're they're no longer in comp in in um, the running for any of the, the major fights. Yeah, um, I think for people on the outside, I don't think they understand what's going on in terms of injuries, wear and tear, just the overall punishment that your body takes through the grueling sessions, training mm -hmm. sessions, sparring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're you're doing untold amounts of damage to your body, and there's of course a matter of chance uh, in terms of oh did somebody roll into your knee that day or, mm -hmm. or not or did you just land a punch wrong i mean there's all kinds of other factors that just can't be accounted for that's why it's kind of crazy when you see a high level fighter who's like training for a world championship fight and they're in one of those uh group class environments mm -hmm. where there's like 13 other dudes around them and they're like jesus christ man, yeah that's so risky it, it is and i think a lot of it stems from the origin of mma it's wrestling being ropes. derived from wrestling, from the jujitsu, mm -hmm. from martial arts uh, structured uh, elements, but also the money wasn't there for dedicated trainer manager types. Right. So it's like as soon as the manager construct came into MMA, and I, I say construct because I don't think most MMA managers are actual managers. They're mostly just agents. They just they find fights and whatever, and they'll they'll get a collective of of other uh, fighters under their wings so that they can have some sort of collective bargaining by having these other athletes or always being able to shuttle somebody in, depending on what a, a, a uh, the UFC or some other organization might need. But they're not really overseeing someone's career. Right. We should talk about that. Like what that means. What, what you're essentially saying is they they're not. Like a boxing manager will slowly build you towards a world title fight, and a UFC fighter doesn't really get that opportunity. Uh, no, that's true. Uh, and part of it is because I would say a lot of these quote-unquote managers want to fast-track an athlete into getting the money. Mm. And uh, with boxing managers, and, and there are times where people are fast-tracked. Look at Lomachenko. So right. he was such of a high level that he's already being put into the the, the big 
high dollar matchups and look what at have you. In MMA, John Jones, mm-hmm. where it actually worked. Yes. You know, fast tracked. But or, or yourself. You're the youngest <laughs> ever UFC heavyweight champion. True, but I, I did have way. 24 fights by the time I ever hit the UFC or something like that. But you're still, what were you, 23 20, when you won the title? I was 24 when I won the 20, title. 24. Yeah, That's 24. still very young, particularly for a heavyweight, right? Yes, yeah. No, it is quite young. And it's it lasted uh, as the youngest UFC champion of all time until uh, John Jones beat it uh, by like a few months or something like that by mm. age when he won his title. But uh, but um, these you know, management types came into the to the fold, and then they're like, well, you know, we we get thirty three percent or twenty percent or all these different do percentages. Thirty three. There are ones out there that that Jesus do get thirty three. There was a, a case around a, a fighter suing his former manager, um, and the manager was getting thirty three and a third. So, uh, which I guess was the maximum allowable by California standards, I believe. Um, but uh, that seems so wrong. It does seem wrong. But the other thing about this, and and the, the way I approached it was, you you get these numbers, you get these ideas from boxing and these other these other avenues that are more established. But here's the thing: a boxing manager will take a fighter, house them in the Catskills or whatever, take them to Big Bear put them in a home, pay for sparring partners, so on and so forth. And the amount of actual management in terms of logistics and everything else going around someone's career is being is is vastly different from just, oh, yeah, well, I called up the UFC and said, yeah, I'll throw you in in two weeks. Right. It's yeah. not the same thing. And you think you deserve 33 and a third percent? For I mean, that, with, right. <laughs> with my fighters, uh, I tell them, look, once I can make you over 10 grand, start paying me. Because other than that, like, what am I going to do with your two hundred bucks? Right. By are, you, are you managing guys or training? I, do, I have actually been managing fighters since the early two thousands. No shit. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I knew you were training guys. But... Yeah. No, I I, uh, I started off with managing Megumi Fuji's career. Oh, okay. Uh, got her her first fights in the the U S. Uh, helped her turn pro, all that, and uh, negotiated her Bellator deals, all that kind of stuff, and then. I manage Victor Henry uh, as for like a, a more modern uh, athlete I'm working with. Uh, Victor Henry, he's on eight fight winning streak. He's probably next in line to fight for a title in Ryzen. He's been kicking the crap out of people in, in Ryzen. D- he's the deep world champion. He's beating people up in Russia. And the thing is, you know, people are so concerned about just the UFC or the American market, which I, I get it. It is the largest market. It is the most notable. And it has incredible fighters in it, but there's incredible fighters everywhere. And there's also that process towards uh, graduating a fighter up to their to their best position and giving them the best experience for that fighter. Uh, and I was just talking to someone at the UFC the other day about Victor, and he goes, "You're doing the right thing with him. You know, you're building him up. You're you're making him the best version of himself he can be, and you're taking care of him and getting him paid." And, you know that's that's part of the experience, and also I try to make sure to give my fighters the experience of being around the world, seeing the world. There's nothing that will change your outlook towards being in other places, especially the more disparate from what you're used to. Mm. I took, uh, uh, I got a great fighter uh, named AJ Bryant at featherweight, and I took him all the way over to to Khabarovsk, Russia. Whoa. And yeah, it was a real eye-opening experience. But the thing was, it was eye-opening in all the right ways. And he had such a blast being in such a, a different environment and, and getting to be really out of his, his comfort zone. And uh, 
you know, I live to do stuff like that for my fighters as yeah, well. Yeah, that's growth as a human. Exactly. Which will translate into growth as a fighter. I, I, I don't see how it won't, especially, I think, within the within that overall apparatus of fighting and the constant uh, fail, failure to succeed uh, rhetoric. Uh, could you, you just can't come out and, and immediately win at everything that you're trying to do, and you won't come out and immediately be great at everything you do. Right. Some things, sure, but it's about the overall um, path of all of this. It's about your overall growth and where you started and where you end up. And I think if you look at the overall talent pool in the world, it used to be that the the elite fighters were all either at Pride or at UFC. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it used to be. But now, like you see, when Eddie Alvarez went over to one, he fought that Timothy Natsuyukin. Yes. Yeah, Natsuyukin yeah. is a bad motherfucker. He must be if he's beating Eddie Alvarez. Stopped he's got to be tough as shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Eddie Alvarez, of course, former UFC champion, is world class. Yes, so he to, is. to see him get beat down by that guy, you go, well, these motherfuckers are out there. And the talent level so high. Like, there's guys that get to the UFC, and when they, right when they get here, you go, holy shit, where's this guy been? Mm-hmm. Like, Piotr Yan, mm. who's fighting, um, he's fighting for the title this weekend against Jose Aldo. And Piotr Jan is this badass Russian dude who's fucking vicious. And when he first came over to the UFC, I'm like, Jesus Christ, where's this guy been? It's like you see these guys who are all over the world now. Mm-hmm. You know, you see an elite world class fighters, and it's it's not just the UFC anymore. Like, I'm, I firmly believe Douglas Lima is one of the best welterweights on the planet, if Agreed. not if not the best. Yeah, he's got uh, an incredible dynamism to his game, and mm-hmm. he just he's his his offensive capabilities are just absolutely deadly deadly yeah he finds holes you know i mean th- for him to knock no, me out too, michael page but we're not talking about ah, my, my my dating life different kind <laughs> of holes i mean for him to knock out michael page like that i mean page is hard to even hit that guy he is he's, he's very so elusive slick. and i know a lot of people like to really rag on page uh oh, i think he's awesome but, yeah, me too man and i met the kid uh uh, it's so weird to think that everybody's kind of like kid to me now. But uh, uh, I mean, from I'm former, sure. from youngest ever <laughs> UFC champion to uh, here you go. Are there still some people I'm sure I'm kid to, like Mark Coleman? I'm sure he'll always right. call me kid. And, right. and, and, and uh, or Gene Labelle. Or Gene Labelle. Yeah, hundred yeah. uh, percent. If you ever come across Gene, if you if my name comes out of your mouth, he's gonna go. Well, tell tell him Uncle Gene said uh, thanks for teaching him a Kimura. It never ends. I'm like, oh, you mean double wrist lock? Okay, he's yeah, such yeah. a character. Yeah, he's. He, I I love Uncle Gene. To Me death. too. I yeah. absolutely do. Uh, but uh, there's great fighters everywhere, and really promotions. One of their their biggest um, one of their biggest duties is to find them, to cultivate those fighters. They're not great just because they're in your organization. They're great because you your organization finds great fighters. Right. Right. Yeah, they're out there. And I mean, if you think about just the level of awareness of elite fighters now, because of YouTube and because of all these different streaming services, I mean, you can watch, you could be anywhere in the world and watch Top Flight Talent. Mm -hmm. It's not a surprise anymore. There's even amazing uh, guys out there like Jack Slack and Lawrence Kenshin that do breakdowns Mm, on specific fights, fighters, and specific techniques mm-hmm. where if I send Jack Slack and Lawrence Kenshin stuff to my team all the time in group chats, like watch this, yes, watch this, yes, watch this. Yes. You know, if any of them pick up like a, a teep like Samart, then I'm like, mm-hmm. job done. 
You yeah, know? and I didn't have to do anything about it. It's even love, better. Those clips are so great too because they'll highlight a specific technique. They'll show the the KO or the mm -hmm. finish, and then they'll break down all the different moving parts. Like both those guys are fantastic. Yeah, Robin Black's great at it as Robin well. Robin Black, Bink. Yeah, yeah. yeah Robin Black Robin is fantastic. Robin is very entertaining too. He's a really entertaining person. You know, so and his enthusiasm for martial arts really comes through. In his, I do love his sincerity. Yeah, and, you know, he's and a that's great just person. a thing that is missing. You know, sincerity yes. and authenticity in anything you do. And just like we talked about the 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 Rogan man cave, but it's not about being a man cave. This place is a. a, a, a extension of everything that you're trying to create for yourself and that is honestly whether you have the means to create something like this or you just have the means to create something really small in your own little apartment mm -hmm. like everything that you do should be in worship so to speak to what you're the ideal you're trying to create right yeah and it, you can't do that if you're insincere you can't do that if you're if you're just trying to be the packaging and not the item yeah, we were talking about that earlier, that there's too many, and I think this is part of the problem with social media is that people are intoxicated with this idea of having other people think they're awesome. Mm -hmm. So they, they put out all this stuff to make it look like, you know, like they're this uh, amazing person and, you know, they'll put up these quotes and put up this shit, but it's, it's not really what they're into they just want you to think they're into it and it comes off that way like you get like one of my biggest pet peeves like and I, and I was gonna I posted a quote last night or not a quote rather but an image of uh, Miyamoto Musashi because mm -hmm. I got I got into the book of five rings again I, like, I cannot wait to hear what what just criticism somehow came out of nowhere to tell you what a, what a jerk you were, how wrong you are. I don't, know. I don't know if there is any uh. criticism. I didn't pay attention. But what I was going to criticize is I was going to say that I have an issue with there's a, a lot of people online. It's not even that I have an issue. It doesn't resonate with me. This is a better way of putting it without sure. being negative. There's so many people that are posting motivational shit, but they haven't done anything. True. It is uh, it trying, to be the, trying to be the packaging and yeah. not the item. You can do this. If you feel that, go do this. This is this is how you go get it. This is, what the fuck have you done? <laughs> you have to do something. And I didn't say this last night, but this is what I meant when I posted it. Like, if you want to take inspiration, there's something about the words of Miyamoto Musashi that are profoundly inspirational mm -hmm. because he's a man who bested over 60 men in one-on-one -on -one sword fights. So when he's talking about strategy or he's talking about technique and he's talking about preparation and you must research this you must look into this and you, this is how you go this is how you go about uh, attacking this is how this is how you play off your opponent's strategy mm -hmm. he's talking about life or death with a fucking sword you can't get more serious than it that it comes through in his words man even translation from japanese to english even though it's 400 years later there's something about that guy that it gives me goosebumps man when i read his shit all I, I fell in love with samurai philosophy a long time ago from uh, what Nitobe and uh, the Hagakure and there's even one called uh, Budo or, or Samurai Flo philosophy of the samurais. It's, I forget the name of it, but it's a, a really short, succinct book that really nails down some things. And I think part of why what they have to say is so 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 authentic and so so um uh real so to speak is because it's life or death for them you mm. know you're reading uh storm of seal by ernst jünger and uh you're reading this guy's take on being in world war one 
Mm -hmm. it's not that he was never afraid. It's not that he didn't understand what war is. It's just but from his position as a soldier and the way he approached things and the way he even still saw beauty in these moments, in living in that part of his life, it's it's clearly somebody that uh, uh, that I believe has a good grip on being towards death, as Heidegger would put it, like being mm. embracing what it means to be alive. And by embracing that, you're also embracing the fact that you are gonna die. Mm. It is not going away. That that death is alongside you, and you don't know when it's coming. And there's no need to because you're not supposed to be thinking about whether or not you're going to die or when it's going to come or anything like that. But you're, you need to be thinking about what you're going to do before that time does show up mm. and how you're going to do it and wh for why. You know, what is it? How are, how are you finding meaning and fulfillment in life so that when when death comes along and tugs on your shoulder and on your shirt sleeve, you're like, all right, well, this is it. Yeah, and those guys, people that you, you've described whether it's Musashi or any of those people, what, what comes out in their words is authenticity because of the fact that they have led these extraordinary lives and they have faced incredible danger. They have lived. There's, there's something about that where you can genuinely learn from those people, whereas there's a lot of people that really haven't, but they know that people long for those things, so they try to recreate it. Mm -hmm. They try to recreate these quotes or they try to find some words that will inspire you to get going and and seize the moment and make the most of the the day and go out there and conquer and right. and, and kick ass and, and it doesn't mean anything it, it's all persona yeah. it, it is attempting to take on it's presenting the persona of that kind of individual mainly because they know that deep down all of us realize that there's weight to those kind of people, yes. you know, and uh, I'm sure Peterson would be like, it's the bloody archetype. You yeah, know, or something. that's exactly <laughs> what he would do. Yeah. But, uh, um, well, he's an example as well. I mean, when he talks about whatever he's talking about, where, you know, he's talking about uh, Gulag Archipelago or, mm -hmm. or anything, he's talking about it from a, a place of profound understanding. And that resonates. Like when, when he critiques Marxism or he critiques certain uh, philosophies and certain certain trends that he sees in, in social social behavior like he's doing it from a place of profound understanding and that's that's why it resonates with people that's why he became so famous so people think somehow or another that <clears throat> he became so famous because there's a an angst in uh, a lot of like weak men sure. that he tapped into. That's the typical a, criticism. A surface level, yeah. uh, uh, the surface level diagnosis of all these kind of things or prognosis. Uh, but the thing is, even as much as, you know, to, to, to put it in perspective, so I have my own journey dealing with, with uh, Marxism, neo-Marxism, whatever, and, and how it, it is entered, at one point was a part of my life and just making me absolutely miserable from another person. It was like, why? Was the person you were dating or something? Yeah, I was yeah. someone I was in a relationship with, and it was just like, I'm getting assaulted in a way. Uh, no, I'm not trying to say words of violence. <laughs> Calm down. Uh, I was just under, I felt like I was under attack all the time for things that I didn't do and things that I, from arguments that I had or accusations, I'm like, well, I, I don't understand why I am being, uh, this is being offloaded onto me at the time. So I start researching and researching and researching because I, I truly believe uh, essentially, like like uh, J.S. Mill says, though that though that who he who understands only one side of the argument, not the other, understands a little of both. And so, even through all this, I have to re I had to come to the fact that as much as if you'd want to take that shallow 
um, diagnosis of, of Peterson, it's the same as if you want to take a shallow diagnosis of Marxism. Mm -hmm. These things aren't operating out of complete falsity. They're not coming out of nowhere. They're not built upon nothing. There is truth being said in everything. This is they're, they're stemming from truth. So that's such you, a good point. If you read Marx, there is true critiques. There's there's true things within it. Now, where people often go wrong is, you know, they take a seed of truth and they plant a forest of bullshit, right? Mm. So just because you can you can grow it doesn't mean you're necessarily like uh, like I think of bamboo, right? So if you put bamboo in a lot of the places, especially in Western. Uh, especially the Pacific Northwest or, or Western uh, America. It depends on your climate zones. We're not going to get into all that. But mo a lot of strains of bamboo will grow to the point that they just they can't be stopped. They will grow through concrete. They will grow through asphalt. They will, so if you're going to plant it, you have to plant it in like steel boxes and concrete barriers and things to make sure that the bamboo stays only where it's supposed to be. Otherwise... It's going to be fucking everywhere, and it's going to outcompete and dominate everything else. Now, planting the bamboo, great idea. But if it goes nuts and destroys all your, your native uh, flora, well, fuck. That wasn't so great now, was it? Right. You know, great. I hope you like bamboo because that's all you fucking got now. Yeah, like there's truth in a lot of those philosophies in terms of they have a point. Yeah. But then when you apply it large scale— and then you take into account human nature and how humans find ways to blame others for their own shortcomings and find ways to juke the system, and, and then you wind up with a mess. Well, it's definitely a problem if you take a, 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 a mostly an external look at everything. It's, it's all outside of me. It's all other things. Yeah. It's, all these, these, it's all these systems. It's all these other aspects, these external uh, processes and it's none of it is me right and none of it is the individual and none of it is you know the small group to the large group to the you know all these things change from every vantage point from from the single person to the small tribe to the larger nation nation size community I mean to think about the logistics it takes to keep some of these systems working and working accurately or as accurately as we can at times something dumb like um, I don't know, just making sure electricity gets to your house. Mm -hmm. It's enormous. Right. It's unreal people to think of. Completely take that for granted. A great micro version of what we're talking about is the uh, Capitol Hill uh, <laughs> Autonomous Zone, <sighs> which turned out to, to be a, a fucking home. disaster. Hitting so close to home, town. Joe. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm from Ballard. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's so interesting. It's like, of course, it would be on Capitol Hill. I mean, yeah. that was like our, our little Haight Ashbury of, of sorts. Uh, but, you know, I thought Capitol Hill had, had really jumped the fucking shark a long time ago when I was reading an article about people wanting to be on Capitol Hill so bad. That they were willing to live in shared apart shared shared living space scenarios where they're sharing bathrooms and kitchens and all this and paying like stupid money for a room, and I don't mean a room in a house. I mean purpose built habitation scenarios to to do that. And I'm just like, what the why the fuck do you want to live there that bad? I mean. There's plenty of cool shit there, but there's plenty of cool shit all over Seattle. What, what was it about Capitol Hill? Because I'm not a Seattle guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it I'm was just, uh, you know, it was the, it was the, 
gay or LGBT, I guess now, as you would refer to it, epicenter. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, there had some head shop stuff. It was just sort of a counterculture district, you know? And mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, you know, we'd go up there and go to the weird little stores. I mean, that'd be the place where you want to buy some like crystals and uh, all that kind shops. of stuff. It, it would be there. Um, mm. But uh, it was a groovy, very densely cultural place. And you know, famous for a lot of things, uh, you know, some things unfortunate, like me as a potter getting killed behind the Comet Tavern, uh, or, but also for many, many great things too. But it was, it would definitely be the place where you would see something like a Chaz pop up. It's just that the, uh, the, the, the separation from idea to reality was something like a Chaz is, and, and it's always going to be this case. It's always going to be just mountains in between the two. You know, uh, the funniest part, I think, for me is watching that altercation video with uh, Raz and his, his, his new police stating, we're the police now. And the guy in being uh, uh, approached uh, for graffitiing a building going, well, you know, what's up with all the guns and all the, why you guys got all these guns? And this lady who's filming going, don't, don't worry about us having guns. Who cares about guns? Cops carry guns. Guns are no big deal. And I'm just like, whoa. You guys are doing exactly (sighs) what you're complaining against. (laughs) They basically made all the worst aspects of a country. They put up a border immediately. Mm -hmm. They kept people from going in. They had no medical. They had no police. Yes. Their police was a bunch of thugs. If Mm -hmm. something went wrong, they beat people up. Attacked them. Yeah, right. one guy was filming things. They didn't like I him remember filming, that. so he, they he jumped him. Yeah, they beat his ass. Yes, and <laughs> there's a picture afterwards of of Raz and the guy then embracing each other. Which to one side, I'm thinking, see, I fucking told you people, violence isn't the worst thing in the whole world. Like you know, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, violence can bring people a lot closer together than you think. You know, uh, we've never trained together, but we know what it's like to train. So there's already this inherent. Uh, rapport between us and then the the rapport between you and anybody that gets on the mat is almost sussed out immediately because you just cannot you cannot be on a in a situation like that and and be living on persona alone right you need to really be who you are and that might be a really great fighter might be a really mediocre one it doesn't really matter everybody is generally towards their purest self when put into that kind of scenario. It is the Chuck, uh, I can't say his last name, uh, Palonic, Pal- yeah, Fight Pal- Club. Palonuk. Palonuk. He's been on the podcast. No, he's too. awesome. I listened he's to awesome. it. Uh, he's a, he's a rad dude. Palonuk? Palonuk. Okay. Uh, and he, you know, the that, that line guy. about uh, you never know who you are until you've been in a fight. Like, a, pff, yeah. It's Full true. on. You really want to know who you are? Get into a fight. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but watching that, and you know, so the side of me is going, see, like oh, perhaps you know, a little bit of fisticuffs could could make things a little better. You know, especially if, if we were to talk about the well, law of mutual combat that exists in Washington, right? Which is very which weird. I think should be national. To be perfectly honest, the only th- problem I have with that is that like they let people fight out on the street. Which you should be aware that if you get KO'd, you're gonna might you might die. I know. I your, think your that should gonna be, bounce off the concrete. That has to be included in in such a law. Like, yeah, you have to drunk. be like, look, you're taking yeah. your life into your own hands. Like legitimately, if you're doing it out in the dirt, yeah, you probably be okay. I know, but we can't nerf the world that much. We, it just, we just can't. It's just not possible. And as much <laughs> as we would love to think about the ideal scenario for everything, you 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 can't. There's no. always going to be that one, ten, whatever. It's 
it's just not possible. And so, and then you see Raz and this guy, and it's like, oh, it's all good. But it's just like, well, but what if cops just got to just smack people all the time? I mean, that's part of the problem with with police issues in general, yes. right? I mean, we can go on about. I've seen, you know, you get the arguments about stats from the FBI and uh, about the shootings and unarmed shootings and all this kind of stuff, but they don't have stats for how many times has a cop just beat someone's ass. Right. They don't have, they don't have, you know, you know right. and, and it's a uh, lot. Right. And, yeah. uh, but with the, 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 the Chaz, you, you, this thing, the, the saddest thing about all this, even besides, and I'll, I'll take an argument on this, even besides all the fucking property damage and the just tearing everything up and, and obviously loss of life. Right. There is there's how many people got loss. killed there? At least two. Right. I like think seven. more. Seven people like died. Seven. Jesus seven people Christ. are dead. And uh, should we have a drink to those people? Yeah, we should. We should absolutely have, have a drink to those people. Warm, you have your own whiskey. Yep. The Warm Master edition. Motherfuckers have their own whiskey. Yeah, a few, a few. But uh, yeah, we can get into uh, my love of whiskey at, at some point here. Yeah. So seven people died. Seven people died in Chaz, which is obviously awful that is crazy i didn't um, know it was that many but what i guess where i'm going with this on what i think could possibly be the worst of all of this people not learning people not learning that it's not so easy to put societies together right small or large and even that one it was basically you occupied you 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 basically did what everybody complains about the founding fathers do correct you took over property and land that was held by other people you conquered a space yeah you conquered, you conquered a space it. yeah and you didn't even conquer it for very long. Salad. <sighs> yeah. Salad. Mm. Whoa, that's good. 115. Warbringer. Mesquite yeah. smoked. This is good shit, man. It is. Uh, it's a gold medal this? winner at really? the San Francisco International Spirits Competition. I always pe think those people are drunk. They don't know what it tastes like. <laughs> it's like, because I was... <laughs> I was uh, I was a judge for High Times once for uh, well, the that's High Times a little Cannabis different. Cup. Yeah, I mean, get a, it was look, preposterous. I don't know how how guys like uh, I'll see Tony. I go, how do you how do you go up there and do this whole fucking shtick? If you gave me any of that, I'm done. I, I I can't have a coherent conversation. I'd be I would be unable to actually keep track of what the fuck anybody's talking you about. You get accustomed to it. I I guess. Yeah, you know? it is marijuana. You build up a tolerance, but you, you, there's some rough nights where it doesn't see the, what it is is like for working out um, material. What what cannabis does is it allows you to have these possibilities that you mm -hmm. can open these doors or not, but they're there. Like you, if you're high, like if you've been doing your act and you're doing stand up four or five nights a week and you're, you're really in the groove, you're honed and you're not going to get thrown off by, by some pot. You know what you're talking about. And especially if you smoke pot a lot, mm -hmm. but what pot does do is it gets you to these places where you might not have gotten before. Like, you go, who the fuck is judging whiskey? Like, wh why are they, <laughs> what are they doing? Like, and then you'll, like, off off the cuff yeah. on stage, you'll go into this place ah. that maybe you wouldn't have gone into before, okay. and you'll find ideas. So what I like about it is, is it, it opens up like a flower. It, it, these Take these ideas and they spread. Mm -hmm. Not always, though. Sure. You know, it's it's a risky thing. You just never know what's going to come with any sort of yes. uh, alteration to your your mind state. It also makes stand up a little more dangerous, so mm. it gets you a little scared, mm. and that is also good. 
because it 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 opens up possibilities and it it allows you to stay sharp because you're a little nervous. Like if you've been doing, I've been doing stand up for 31 years. You know, when I go on stage, it's kind of normal. Even mm-hmm. like last weekend, I did the Houston Improv. I hadn't done stand up in 90 days. But before I went up on stage, I listened to a lot of recordings. I went over my notes. I knew what I was doing. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It wasn't terrifying. But if I got really high before it, it would be fucking terrifying. Dude, it, the idea of it terrifies the shit out of me. And <laughs> I, I have material. I got all kinds of shit. But, but I'm just like, whoa. That's, That's hilarious. A guy who's fought as many times as you, afraid to do stand-up. One of the just... scariest things I ever did was the first time I ever sang on stage with a band. And that was this band, Nile, a uh, death metal band. And so I'm friends with them. Uh, Carl, you're, you're the man. Uh, but uh, I'm sitting in the audience. I'm there with my – even with, with a, uh, my, ex, my girlfriend at the time. And we're at the House of Blues in Hollywood. And he literally goes, hey – Josh Barnett's here, this, that, and the other. But get this, and they put a spotlight on him. And they go, he's gonna come out and help us sing Black Seeds of Vengeance. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, I don't. They didn't tell you before here. No, and so I'm oh, just going, no. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so at some point, uh, yeah. By the way, uh, people uh, f- fronting a band with a microphone, you have uh, an, an inordinate amount of power. Be careful about how you flex it. So I, I, I go backstage. They come grab me. I'm just waiting, and I'm breaking out into a full sweat. All I can think of is that my throat is going to close up, and only squeaks and and like weird mouse noises are going to come out. And I'm just going, oh fuck. And I get up there, and I, I I can't hear myself. I just I'm doing my thing, and I get off stage, and like, oh, that was pretty good. And I'm like, <gasps> I'm just losing my shit. And he's like, what the? I go, I have never been more scared in my entire life. And he's like, what the? How are you afraid of being on stage and just singing when people are trying to kill you? I go, honestly, fighting for my life feels good. Like I, I'm not saying that that is the way most people should have viewed things, and and uh, and I, I'm of the believer that if you're if you enjoy delivering violence, if you really are into it, then you also enjoy when violence is brought to you and the escalation that comes from it. The mm. feeling of of I, I don't know. I feel like they're in your best mindset. There's a feeling of power that is derived from it. Like it's. Uh, I talked to. Uh, uh, God, we're going all over the place. You might think we were already high. But did uh, you did you always feel like this though before yes. you go into I talk to? Yes. Did you feel like that when you first fight? Yes. How uh, old were you when you had your first fight? Uh, like actual just fight. Or... Back when you were the babyface assassin. Oh, well, my first fight was 19 years old. I was on winter vacation from uh, from the University of Montana. One of my wrestling coaches called me up, and AMC Pancration was a, a legit was a pro gym. They had pro fighters, and they were out there, and I knew of them, but you know, this was 1996, so this shit was still real uh, like DIY sort of. There wasn't really a, 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 an avenue towards things. And these, I've talked to, to MMA people now. These like you guys don't get it. You don't know what it was like back then. And uh, my my old wrestling coach, he calls me up. He goes, "Hey, I know you've been training. I know you're into this. There's an open. There's an, an opening uh, to fight this guy, Chris Charnos." Uh, on January, whatever it was. So it was 11 days. I go, all right. Uh, I go, oh, Chris Charnos. Yeah, fought in Super Bowl. He's pro, yeah? Yeah, okay. When? All right, 11 days. I'll be there. And that's it. I just went and I trained with an old martial arts coach of mine. Um, Ran a little bit. You know, I was already training back in Montana over at Jim Harrison's uh, Bushido Kong Karate. You know, rest in peace, sensei. Uh, Much love. But, uh, I'm like, well, yeah, cool. I want to fight. That's it. I'm standing in line 
to to go through the medicals. And this other cat, he looks at me. This this uh, um, his name is also also Chris, and he fought on that that card. And he goes, so where do you train, man? I go, oh, I train over in Montana, but also you know trained a bunch in this like this church basement. And he just looks at me. He's like, cool. <laughs> Later, he tells me, he goes, I thought you were going to die. I thought this guy was just going to annihilate you. Well, back in the day, there were guys that had no business being in there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, so I get in the ring. Uh, I fight Chris. I choke him unconscious in like two minutes. And uh, Matt gets in the ring and he goes, hey, you know, we'd love to have you come back in the summer and fight again. I'm like, all right, I'll be here. And that was just, it was just a matter of, I was so, the funny thing is I was ready to get out there and amp to do it. But uh, even then... When you get started, it felt like my first ever wrestling match to some degree, and like everything kind of turned into tunnel vision. Mm. And it's uh, it's a it's a strange strange feeling about how everything seems to be going a million miles an hour. And you watch it back in reverse, and you're like, oh my god, there was actually a lot of time in between, you know, segment A to segment B. And I do remember my first wrestling match, especially because. I fucking head and armed this guy who had already placed. He had placed in uh, the district, so uh, or, or the city, whatever in Metro we call it. Uh, he wrestled for Ingram. Uh, I wish I could remember his name. He's a cool cat. Uh, but I, I threw him with a head and arm. Boom! And as I'm pinning him, I'm I'm screaming. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Had you ever screamed before when you're pinning somebody? It was my first ever wrestling match. Oh, there you I'm go. just like. I, I get in, in there, practice, I'm just, uh, yeah, and I throw him and pit him on his back, ah, and I get the pin. I'm just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> a- everything going haywire. Yeah. Keep your shit together, yeah. you know? Um, That's try- a crazy thing, right, about life, real, real life, normal life, and then competition or chaos or, you know, a, a fist fight. There's, there's a thing. It's like you enter into a world where all of a sudden – the sky looks a different color. Mm-hmm. Your your hands don't move the right way. You 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 hesitate. You're thinking too much. It's a it's weird to watch people enter into that world for for the first time. I think that it, part of it, uh, I would say, is that we're we're too disconnected mm-hmm. from danger. things associated to that state. Not just yeah. danger, but just that chaos. Chaos too. Um, as I got more and more and more into philosophy, and I'm real. Uh, really heavily into Nietzsche. In fact, that's actually even how I even came across Jordan Peterson to begin with, was I was just looking for lectures on Nietzsche really? online. And this is before any of his his stuff with uh, the pronouns and the, the bills and stuff. And, and No, this was just me listening to his university lectures. That's all oh, it was. Oh, okay. So you're OG. Yeah, yeah, real OG. And, Have you uh, met him? Never, He's no. He's the nicest guy. He once, uh, he did, or someone from his Twitter uh, re- reached out to me at one point uh, when his book came out and said, hey, we'd like to send you a copy. And I go, yeah, yeah sure, no problem. And it was signed John. <laughs> so okay. I don't know how the fuck that happened, but I did, it was like, in a way, it's kind of better, but whatever. So, so the guy named John signed it? I don't know. No, to John. To John? Instead of Josh. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I don't, fuck, I don't know. You know, I know yeah. how that stuff goes. But, uh, and, uh, so I'm sitting there, and as someone being so into Nietzsche, I started to look at it as this is tapping into like your highest state of being, so to speak. So when I'm in the ring, I feel like things that are attached to me from modern and general living are removed. Mm. I feel like it is the most freeing, 
a live moment in my life. And as I can look back, even to that wrestling match, even to getting into fist fights as a little kid, like there was always something about me that was drawn to it, not just because I wanted to, you know, conquer and crush skulls, but that I literally could not get enough of the feeling of aliveness mm. from it. And it wasn't just that it was dangerous. It wasn't, it's, it's beyond that. It is, I think, more akin to like people talking about that, that, that no mind state. And of course, if you can operate in that state, well, then you might Michael Jordan yourself a night and, and look amazing. But even when that isn't the case, if you can, you can center your focus into being in that moment, you can experience a type of being that is at its highest level of human existence. It's just that it's not something that is, I had to learn is not, you can't be that way all the time. And other people can't relate to you when you're in that state. Mm. Like you just, your ability to communicate with your fellow man just isn't really there unless they're also in that state with you. Right. Yeah, it's these moments where you're forced to live in the moment. You mm -hmm. have to, there's no other way around it. And everything requires so much attention and so much focus that when you go back to regular life, that's the thing that fighters have a really difficult time with. Yes. And people don't understand, why do they keep coming back? And don't they know it's over? Why don't they find other things to do? Because there's nothing that's going to ring their bell like a fight. There's nothing like getting up for a fight, knowing that it's around the corner. The anticipation. You have to, you have to build a way out of fighting, so to speak, uh, I believe. Uh, to, to, to try and really simplify it. And remember, there was that clip just not that long ago of, of Mike Tyson talking about no longer being a fighter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's broken into tears. Like, I, uh, I was able to watch it once, kind of from afar, so to speak, but I, I couldn't watch it again. Like, it, mm, I'm like, too no, no, so it's no too that's, that's 100%. Like, I... I'm like, oh, I know this way too fucking much. You're you're tugging on strings that I don't I don't really want to play with right now that I already know of, and it's just, yeah, uh, I don't I don't expect that other people are always going to know what that's like, and that's okay. Uh, when people say that they don't understand my affinity to violence, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, that makes total sense to me. That's uh, you're you're capable of it, by the way. All of us are like there, but uh, not everybody's built the same to do the same things. Just as much as my way of abstract thinking, if I sit down with Eric Weinstein, I, he leave, leaves me behind if he takes certain subjects. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to be along for the ride because I can't, my brain can't operate on the same level in this fashion that you can. But you haven't spent time in that realm. Well, yeah, and, and, and may, may, maybe I could become a. Uh, competent enough in you would have to physics start with over. him but you have I, to start your life over yeah he, weinstein talks to me about that stuff and i'm like okay i don't i don't know where you're going with this i don't even know what you're saying yeah but uh, so I, it was eric i was talking to because he's always interested for my take on on violence and how violence relates to humanity and how it relates to being and i listened to his pod he, he his podcast with jocko and that I would say, I mean, it was really great, and I've never met Jocko, but I, he sounds like a really awesome dude. And, He's the best. I'll connect uh, you guys. I would love to. Um, but I, but I said to Eric, I go, one of the things that I, I saw that was kind of different here in the way that both me and Jocko seem to approach this is that he's so very clinical about it, very regimented, and I understand that because if he's 
in a military presence. Like you, you can't just have a guy who's you know soaking himself in the enemy's blood and running around the battlefield screaming at the top of his lungs. That doesn't help anyone, right? right. Like reveling in something like this isn't really a necessity in anything, right? That is. It's besides the point. And in especially fact, if, in 2020. If anything, yeah, especially in 2020, when they went after uh, Gurkha soldiers, uh, Nepalese soldiers who were sent on a, a, a kill mission in, to, to grab some sort of uh, extremist. And they like, well, we need, we're going to have, we, we want proof too. So what do they do? They pull out their cookery and take the dude's head off and bring it back. And then they went and put that guy on trial for doing his job because we thought, oh, that's too much. Too much proof. It's, it's it's death and war and violence. What is too much? You know what I mean? I mean, right. what what if his head had gotten cut off and you know stuck on a pike somewhere to be like, don't fuck with us? It's, I mean, the problem is how it appears to people that don't live in that world, right? Yeah, that's the problem. Like if you if if a soldier kills someone and then they say we need proof that you killed that person, they bring back a head. And you go, hey, you fucked up now. Yeah. You brought back his head. Like, well, what do you want me to do? Bring back a picture of him dead? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's I, not good enough. You yeah, need the head. Correct. Correct. And 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 also, uh, I guess, to take on uh, a tone that seems to be permeating the, the general uh, sphere of consciousness in the West. Oh, well, who are we to tell Gurkhas that they're not allowed to cut people's heads off? Right. That's their culture. Yeah. Yeah. Don't... Uh, <laughs> Don't don't do this, you know. Well, they have that crazy knife don't do too, this. Right? Yeah, the cookery. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I own a, a a cookery from Cold Steel, man, and that thing is my 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 one of my prized possessions. Why do they shape it that way? Uh, I don't know the history of why the blade takes on that shape, but I can say that the shape of the blade, the way it's designed, is one of the greatest chopping devices you will ever come across because of the the angle in the blade and the way that it, it widens out towards the tip. It creates this belly of cutting uh, pressure that when you swing that fucker, it just whacks it right is. through anything. Looks pretty dope, Oh, that's too. a Damascus one. Yeah, mine's a, a old-school uh, Sanmai 3 cold mm. steel that has my logo on it. Mm. Uh, you know, thank you. Uh, Andy and and Lynn Thompson for that one, but uh, it is arguably one of the baddest fighting knives ever created. It's pretty dope. Looking. It it will take off pretty very, much anything. Very old school. That's a 19th century. There's small ones that they make mm. uh, folders, and Cold Steel has a small really? one called the Raja Three, and with that same blade design, they can just whack through uh, a bunch of uh, pork ribs or really? whatever. Just take it apart and just boom, just explodes. It's gone. Huh. It's a weird shape. It, but it, it it's it's interesting. It's physics. It I'm sure I'm sure Eric could sit down here. And, yeah, and <laughs> sure. But it's interesting that it was not universally adopted. Well, uh, it has to do with a lot of different things. I mean, I'm trying to to go back through my well, military hand to hand fighting uh, books and stuff like that. Think yeah. about the samurai blade, like the katana or. Mm. You know, that's well, it's curved one. too for being able to cut from horseback. Sure, it's a great I mean, cutting blade as well. But it's interesting that that blade was not recreated by other cultures. Uh, well, similar uh, in Korea, they have oh, yeah? a similar blade too, and it, theirs more uh, resembles early style blades called uh, tachis, I believe. Hmm. Um, and then the Chinese have the broadsword. And then, you, of course, you have – so they don't have the exact same design. I'll give you that, you know, with the way that they have designed the the, the shape of the edge itself. 
and the way that they they refine their point uh, with that that sort of wedged tip. But scimitars are are curved also for their cutting ability, and also for when you're on horse. If you come by mm. and you swing that that curved blade, when it starts to make bite as you're continuing to go through, it it transfers that energy across the blade in such a way that it doesn't tear tear your arm off off your horse. Imagine if there was a YouTube video of every person who ever died by the hand of a sword, just from the beginning of time, just chop 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 <laughs> chop chop chop. You'd be like, what the oh. fuck? That, that's part of the problem with seeing things on video, yeah. right? Like you don't see all the life that was lived before that moment where someone was chopped. You just see the chop. You don't see the conversations. You don't see the love. Think about see... the UFC. Mm -hmm. Guy goes out there. Gal goes out there. Fights. Loses. And then when people take up the, the position that, oh, from this moment on, oh, now they, they don't matter because it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. That lady just won 30 fights in a row and never lost. Now she sucks. Right. Now she sucks because she lost a fight. Well, that's the problem with our culture where people— It is a culture thing, yes. People are commenting that have no understanding of what they're commenting on other than the actual act of a knee hitting a chin. Like all the people that ragged on Ben Askren for getting knocked out, mm -hmm. the fastest UFC knockout by Jorge Masvidal. Yes. Dude, that guy endured it. Today was the, f the one-year anniversary— so I've been uh, paying attention just to comments today, just like God damn it. You know, Ben likes to be uh, a big mouth of sorts, and he mm -hmm. really loves to rile shit up. Uh, but you know, even the, the better person—I don't necessarily even mean better than Ben. I just mean the better person as a general has to look at that which, even if you dislike it, like if you you hate the way Ben speaks and what he has to say. But that doesn't take away from what he's done. I'm no. sorry. Like his body of work stands on its own. Sure. Well, and you can think him a shitty person or, or or God's greatest. Go back and watch his fight with Douglas Lima, who we were talking about, who's one of the best fighters in the world. He ragdolled Lima. Yeah. He ragdolled Koroshkov. When he was the Bellator champion, I mean, they, were, they had a problem in that his style, no one could defeat him. And it wasn't fun to watch for people yeah. who didn't like MMA. Unfortunately, Ben's finishing capabilities did not uh, did not uh, grow, or did not um, it didn't grow to the same level that his wrestling ability was. But it did when he went to One FC. It got much better, yeah. but because but, they yeah. allowed him to do some shit you couldn't do over in Bellator, like knee a downed opponent in the head. Sure, but I mean, Ben just should have been subbing guys left and right in Bellator, right. but he just didn't quite have it now right. and my opinion always was at least from watching it like if you're this inventive of a funk wrestler in in collegiate wrestling and what have you in international wrestling i i know you could be a literal submission machine right it had to be just approach uh, maybe uh, pressure to just get those get those wins i mean i mean there is an issue with i think some of the wrestlers coming in and thinking about the the game structure of wrestling and being like, okay, okay, so if I win this five minutes, then I'll give him the next two minutes and then I'll take three minutes. You know, they're thinking mm -hmm. about how to win a match. Right. Whereas I've never thought like, oh, you know, maybe if I, blah, 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 I'm like, I'm going to kill him. Right. I, and, and if someone doesn't come in to stop me, I'm just going to keep, like, fuck right. it, you know, and if maybe his corner jumps in, then I'm going to kill him and then I'm going to just, you know, it's just like, <laughs> I don't have any friends when I'm in the ring. The only people I have are the people that have my back, that are in my corner, and that's it. Everybody else is the enemy if they decide to get in front of me. And that's the a, difference between a fighter's mentality and someone who's trying to win a match. Correct. And, and Ben Askren is awesome at 
Uh, he was he's he's been awesome at MMA. He was an awesome wrestler. It's un it's undisputable. Another thing to take into consideration for people who are Ben Askren haters. Ben Askren needs a hip replacement, and he's needing one for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, he his hip was pretty fucked up over the last year and a half of his career. And uh, I mean, I think he's talking about it now, but he definitely talked about it to me. It's fucked. I I have no doubt. A lot of these wrestlers, Coleman, Mark Coleman got a hip replacement. Yep. Yeah. Uh, John Wayne Parr just got a hip replacement. Yep. It's all over his. He uh, did Instagram. the. Uh, he went and elected, I guess, to get what the the shaved. Yeah, yeah. Which obviously, as technique, it's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my friends, someone you might have even used to roll with, Victor uh, Victor Webster. Yeah. He got uh, discs replaced in his back, right. and now he's back on the mats. Yeah, Eddie Bravo got the same thing. Exactly. He trains with Eddie. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. He got a titanium, this articulating mm-hmm. titanium disc instead of getting his back fused. And Victor goes, I've never felt better. That's amazing. So yeah, he, it's, Eddie it's still has pain in his. Uh, nothing's... Nothing's uh But uh, I think 100%. Eddie fucked his back up so bad before he got it fixed. Could be. Like he was uh, all the edge of the bone itself was getting, you know how it frays out mm-hmm. and you, you develop this extra bone because your body's trying to fuse it itself. Your body's trying to figure out what to do with all this mm-hmm. inflammation. Of course. You know, that was a thing about Pat Militich. Pat Militich didn't get his neck fused, but it fused itself. <laughs> It's insane, but the body will That's do what it needs to right do. There. The body will do anything yeah. it needs to to keep going. Yes. Well, people actually reported that Pat Milicic had neck surgery. So Pat Milicic had to spend all this money to get these NR- MRIs done and x-rays to show, no, 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 didn't get any neck surgery. Because like, they were saying, some, but like, why are your discs like that? Well, they fucking fuse together from mm-hmm. combat. Yeah. Just the, and you know, he's got. A lot of atrophy in one of his arms, like Boss, Boss Rutten has. Yeah, sort of that, that, uh, Benji Raddick had a problem with that at one yes. point, too. Uh, and luckily, he was able to get it sorted out. Uh, yeah, Boss's right arm is obviously not its its best anymore. And that's, no. you know, like fucking around with the spine, uh, damage around the spine is something that we really need to be uh, super aware of. But at the same time, yeah. Some things are just—it's unavoidable. It may happen. It may not. You uh, always, from the beginning of your career, you—you have always had a love for catch wrestling, Mm -hmm. and catch wrestling, uh, particularly the Carl Gotch school of catch wrestling, was very conditioning heavy. Yes. Very strength and conditioning heavy. I mean, he was a big proponent of clubs. Yes, maces. I swing the mace. Someone uh, was asking me about, you know, do I have weights at my house? I go, I have a twenty-two pound uh, uh, mace. Uh, at my house. And people are like, 22 pounds, bro, I'm squatting 450. <laughs> <laughs> and they... Yeah, they, they would think that that's not a good workout It sounds tool. like, uh, oh, yeah, well, what, what's up with this thing? And I'll tell people, like, no, do not try to swing this thing. You're probably going to blow your elbows out if you don't know what you're doing. Isn't that funny? Yeah. 22 pounds. They're like, get out of here with well, that. If you go look up uh, Yuko Miyato, uh, there's videos of him swinging clubs, and he's probably 60-something now. And he can still pick up a couple clubs and just start mealing the shit out of Remember them. Remember the Iron Cheek? Yes. Deep yeah. into his career? Yes. Those big ass wooden clubs. Mm-hmm. There's a video where Iron Cheek was doing call outs at some event, right? It was like a, it was a promo thing. Hey, you know, whoever the biggest, strongest guys are in here, come in here, see if you can swing these clubs like me. And one of the guys that comes up there is the Ultimate Warrior. And there he, can't, he goes. And he couldn't fucking swing them. No, man, there's, that's a, a very specific kind of strength that you have to develop. Yes, and it's a strength coordination, the ability to, to move through all the planes of uh, movement. Uh, in fact, I did a whole ton of club and uh, mace swinging in preparation to fight Frank Mir. Look at this. 
This is Precious Paul. And look at Precious Paul. That guy's a gorilla, too. Yeah. The size of this motherfucker. He can do that, but he's not swinging them. You know right. what I mean? He's just he, letting them go going back, back and, and forth. forth. Yeah, the swinging, the, the shield cast is where it gets different. Yes. Yeah, it's it's much easier to do and to then, sit there and just go back and <laughs> forth. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> down with America. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, the, and he's a guy who's really hurting. I look today. at the ref who's like, Jesus, yeah. man, don't get bashed on this club. Yeah. yeah, see the difference between the way he's doing it. That's that shield cast motion. That's mm -hmm. a very difficult motion. Yeah, if you're into uh, club and mace swinging, there's, there's two people that I highly recommend. One is Jake Shannon. The other one is mm -hmm. Greg Walsh. Mm. Uh, those two guys are... I mean, uh, mace swinging and club swinging are, especially mace swinging for Greg, are part and parcel to the entire, like uh, a foundational aspect to their training stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and they're, you know, uh, Jake's a catch guy. Greg's a physical fitness conditioning guy. So, uh, but I, I think the mace is a, a fantastic tool for building great strength and it's all, it's wrestling related. It's warrior related. Didn't Carl have some crazy requirements that yes. you had to achieve physically before you were able to train with him? Yes. And part of that was also to just keep idiots away. Yeah. I it was bet, just to right? keep the, the, the dummies away. Cause <laughs> Carl was such a irascible dude, but I meeting Carl and getting to train a little bit under Carl made me feel like I've, I met someone who you know, may have been related to me in some way. Like I felt like this guy was somehow part of my family, but I didn't know it for so wow. long. And yet I come from part of that, that lineage, especially, uh, and we're sitting there and these Japanese reporters have set this whole thing up and they're like, here, we're going to have Carl watch you fighting Minotaro. All right. And get his opinions. And I'm just like, Oh God. All right. So, <laughs> so Carl's watching this thing and he's just, I can see he's just he's making comments, he's tearing into it, and he's being highly critical. He'd say something, he'd look at me, he'd smile a little bit, and he'd say something, and then we're all said and done, and the Japanese reporters are just like, <gasps> you know, they're just losing their shit. They're just like, oh God, <laughs> this is not what we expected to happen. They're just like, oh, what's gonna how is this gonna fall apart? Like this Carl just tore this <laughs> this guy up, a whole new one over this. Right. And Carl looks at me and he goes, What I say, is that piss you off? I looked at him and went, I don't care. All I want, all, all that's important to me is to try and understand what it is from how you see it and see what I can do to take that and be better and, and, and to take your criticism and your eyes and your experience and the way you see it so that I can use it to make myself a better fighter. And he looked at me and he just went, huh. And then he just started showing me stuff and he would call me and give me workouts and see how I'm doing. And I honestly not – being able to spend more time with Carl and, and and even to an extension, you know, Billy Robinson, even though I got to train under him for years and years and years in Japan, I, there, there was never enough time. And Billy Robinson was the guy who worked with Sakuraba, right? Billy Robinson worked with Sakuraba and all the uh, UWFI fighters. And Carl is started with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Antonio Inoki brought him in there to be their head trainer. And he's the one that prepped Inoki for, for Ali. You can wow. see some of Ali's camp getting real uh, rambunctious and Carl just laughing, smiling, even though he knows that uh, that uh, Inoki's been just handicapped, like, oh, you can't throw him, you can't put submissions on him, right. you can't do this, you can't do that. So, But it's crazy that they allowed leg kicks. They didn't think about it. That's so funny. They had no idea. And the One, way he did it, too, from his back and from his side. Great story. I'm with Victor Webster, and we're hanging out. And he's friends with Kanisha Norton, who is an absolute sweetheart. 
And so Ken Norton's daughter. So we're hanging out at this coffee shop and Kanisha comes by with her friend. And so me and Victor are there and we're talking. I'm wearing this T-shirt and it's uh, it's got Inoki on it. Or it's, yeah, it's got Inoki on the shirt. And uh, one of the, the friend that comes with Kanisha goes, that's an interesting shirt. And I'm like, yeah. I go, yeah, uh, that guy put my dad in the hospital. It was one of Ollie's daughters. Whoa. From those leg kicks. And I'm all... Whoa. What serendipity? Which daughter? I, I don't remember. I, don't, I only met her the one time. And, wow. Uh, it, but it, I know it wasn't Layla, obviously, because right. you know she's obviously out in the public all the time. But Erin, um, I should say, in the public spotlight. But I was just like, <gasps> Yeah, those leg kicks yes. were horrible. Yes, that did happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, actually, Enoki is one of my my mentors. Like, he's worked. He's helped train me in professional wrestling, and and was part of the reason why I was in New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's just such a crazy moment that they decided to actually do that match where Ali is there with boxing gloves on mm-hmm. and Inoki is kicking him in the legs. Mm-hmm. Like, th- th- what the fuck, man? And it was, Ali was the champ then or no? Uh, I don't I don't know. I don't know if he was a champ at that point. I'm trying to remember like where he was in his career. Like, what year was that? Uh, it was in the 70s. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, Gene LaBelle was the ref. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's some wild stuff. But, uh, but you know, interesting enough, that was of an era where boxing still knew how dangerous wrestling was. Because mm. boxing and wrestling used to be really interconnected to itself and to each other. And it wasn't actually until the Marquis de Queensberry rules where they started, they got rid of kind of make it up as you go. I mean, there used to be bouts of pugilism and, and back in England or whatever where Okay, well, yeah, you can headbutt, you can do that, you can do whatever. And so they finally set up some sort of structure of rules, hmm. and then eventually, you know, gloves and other things came into play. But uh, but even you can go read things 76. of. Oh, he was the reigning WBC WBA heavyweight boxing wow. champion. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> wild. Now here's the thing: if if Enoki would have been allowed to. Uh, to use submissions and all this kind of stuff. Oh, it like, been over. The he match would have been done. legs 107 times. Oh, my God. Yep. Wow. Oh, and here's the other thing. If Inoki didn't, if he had worn gloves, then he could have punched. But what's the point of trying to box with right. Ali? You know, there's no. Well, it's amazing that Ali absorbed all those leg kicks. Do you, do you remember when Cool Vince Phillips fought Masato? Oh, yes. Yeah. There was a time where a guy who was pretty close to the top of his game, Vince was like a, sliding a little bit. Yeah, but he was still up there. Pretty close to the yes. top of his game, fought Masato, and Masato just lit his fucking legs up. So Stitch was uh, my, he used to wrap my hands and do my cuts for all my pride stuff, everything. So I brought Stitch with me from the UFC. Uh, and Stitch goes, yeah, I, I, he talked to Vince. He said, "Don't do this. Like you, you should not mm. be in the ring with this guy. Uh, you're you're a tough dude, but this is a different story because Stitch had trained Muay Thai in Thailand and all kinds of stuff. So he's like, don't. And Vince got his fucking femur cracked. Oh my god, did he really? Yes. Holy shit. Yes. From a leg kick. Yes. Or for Masato's uh, or or uh, you know uh, many leg kicks. That at that time Masato was at the top of the food chain though. Masato was not he was in his prime. Yeah, it's like, oh I mean, well he he's not winning the K one max. Like yeah, but he's losing like 
Bukow and Andy Sauer. Yeah, like, I mean that was. They're a all shark in there. Tank. They're all killers, man. Killers. Like that was a crazy time for that weight class. That's that's those size guys. There were so many murderers. Ugh. I mean, that was Ramon Deckers. Yes. That was those days. God, that was a crazy time. What a, an amazing thing to see. Uh, such high level artistry mm, yeah. consistently, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People don't understand like what K1 had done. And unfortunately, I heard that Glory's going bankrupt. Yeah, I heard that too. I mean, it's just so hard to keep <sighs> any of this shit going right now. Not right now. Everything's fucked. Yeah. With COVID, everything's fucked. It's, that's such a bummer though, man. I, I am such a huge fan of high level kickboxing. And Muay Thai, like, you know, lion fights, I was always like, why Why are people not watching this? Mm -hmm. I mean, what do they have to do? It's it's just everybody talks about the UFC and MMA, like the people that don't like grappling, like, oh, I hate it when they go to the ground. Yeah, I got a solution for you. This shit never goes to the ground. Mm -hmm. How about this? Watch these guys. But for whatever reason, it never caught on. And well, I don't understand. I'll at least put some blame on the UFC for even creating an audience that was like, I don't like it when they go to the ground. Because look at like the first, I don't know, Zuffa takes over. How long have they been in charge now? I don't know. 2001. 2001. So for probably the first 10 years of UFC, the highlight stuff around every event, around every promotional opportunity around UFC, what is it? Knockouts, mm -hmm. knockouts, knockouts, knockouts. Everybody's getting primed to watch for knockouts. And yet, people are going to the ground and getting choked. People are going to the ground and getting armbarred. What are you telling them to like? people were okay with people getting armbarred and choked. What they didn't like is like Ben Askren beating <sighs> Karshkov. I mean, those kind of fights. Yeah, I mean, that's a bit later, longer in the tooth, but also MMA. Certain later, like, but. Like everything eventually goes towards what is incentivized and how you can game it. Right. System is not, I mean, for me, the way I look at MMA, I go five minute rounds. No, they don't belong. It's too too short anymore. Mm -hmm. Like these, the, everybody's too good of an athlete. They know how to game the system to go out round by round scoring. No, you, you got to get rid of that. You got to get rid of the five minute round. Mm -hmm. You got to go at least probably six, maybe 10. Don't you think there's also a problem in incentivizing people to just win because you have a win bonus? Yes. That win bonus, I do not like. I have said this from the beginning. I just don't think it's fair. First of all, if you're going to do a win bonus, you need to do something about the judging. Yes, 100%. You need to have a better scoring system, and you need to get rid of incompetence. And then when you go to other states, you need to take control of the situation. Because and accountability to the yes, scoring, too. It's In other states, it's dire. Mm -hmm. Like if you, And I don't want to name states, but there's been states where we do fights where I'm just going, what? who watched that fight? Yeah, I hear you. How is, that, how is this even possible? People just get fucking robbed. Yes. So if you have win bonuses and, and you know, if a guy comes in and he's getting 50 and then if he wins, he gets another 50. You stole $50,000 from that guy by giving him incompetent judging. Yes. And I don't, if you're a fighter, you got to do your best to win. If that means take a guy down and hump him and, and, and throw enough punches to keep the referee from standing up, that's $50,000 for Now you. add in. Oh, yeah. By the way, you lose, we can just cut your contract. Yep. Yep. And then no, you have to start no, from no scratch. No security. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't help anybody really. And uh, uh, I would say a better system would be to have uh, a win bonus and a finish bonus, and the finish bonus be double the win bonus. I think no win bonus, or at least uh, a look, fi finish I, bonus sounds yeah. great. Finish bonus sounds great. That's just going to entice people to to fight harder. But of course, I want a fighter to know that if you're you're going to get X amount of dollars, this is what you're getting for that fight. It's not you're going to get half that because the judges are idiots. Correct. 
Yeah, no, I feel you there. And that's uh, uh, a lot of ways the UFC style of, of pricing, which seems to be kind of the, the general model for for MMA, is that yeah, you get you get uh, five bucks to fight and five bucks to win for yeah. a guy that you might have paid him eight dollars to just fight. Yeah, you know. So true. there's where and and I I understand the concept of a win bonus is incentivizing, but it only incentivizes to win. It doesn't incentivize to finish. And if the argument it incentivizes is, those guys at the top level, I mean, you guys are trying to fuck. Well, here's have you thing. ever not tried to win? No, no. But I'm not that. I I know people who tried to. Win, who just I've I've been in fights with guys who are out there trying to just g- win the cards against me. I've been in there with guys. Win the cards against you. What well, you mean? I mean, just like oh, I need to win these rounds. Mm-hmm. You know, I, right. I, if I can't, oh, this guy seems like he's too tough to take out. Fuck that. Right. Just just win the fight. And I see it all the time. I deal with it with my own fighters. I go, you need to make sure that you really put a hurt on this person and make them make them want to call for God. Because otherwise, if they get a chance, they're just going to try and get in control, ride this shit out. Like, whoa, boy, that was dangerous. Glad I made it through that. Okay, cool, great, man. That's not what anybody paid to go and see. And I thought we came here to see who could win. Yeah, you but know, I, who could finish a fight? I think finish a fight, yes. I think finish bonuses is not a bad idea. But I think it should be... A bonus, not like half of your fucking purse. I agree. It would be better if people. Well, you you pair that together with say more dedicated contracts. Like, so if you're if if I'm running a company, uh, uh, I'm gonna if I hire somebody, if I put them on a long term exclusive deal, I do it because I believe in them. Now there may be ups and downs and what have you, and I could make a mistake, and I'll just have to take that. But I want this this individual to be able to go out there and give me absolutely everything they have and know that they're they're not going to be punished if they fall short. Right. And so I'm going to pay them appropriately. Now, on the on the flip side of things, I might if I'm running something as big as the UFC, I'm going to just have a lot of one-off deals on the lower levels until mm-hmm. I see that person that I think I'm going to invest in this person. And that's a thing, you know, there's skin in the game in that investment and there's skin in the game for them. And that's where you get uh, – you're going to get the best responses out of people. And that's where you're going to get their best efforts and their best energies. And, and sometimes you're going to be wrong, but sometimes isn't, isn't all the time. Mm. I'll, take the, I'll take the exception to the rule as long as the rule is giving me what I need. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would at least like to see someone come along with an alternative take on how fighters are paid. And we haven't really seen that. Well, I look, man, if, if someone wants to put me in the position to do that, I'll do it. But nobody wants to. And at the same no. time, nobody wants to create the proper accountability structure for judging either or right. for, you know, even for some of these these uh, these athletic commission apparatus for all these things. And mm-hmm. which is, you know, when you talk about Chaz and all these things and about universality, everybody, whether they're voting left, right, middle, doesn't matter, right? Everybody, however they fall on any side of any of this shit. Everybody knows, and I think that part of this this big protest slash riot at times slash what have you is that everyone knows that the state, a lot of these state and these bureaucratic structures are unaccountable. They're right. not being held accountable. Um, and the ability to affect them, to make them accountable is also minimal, if at all, if potentially impossible. Um, and then on top of that, the, what is the what is the thing that you see as the apparatus that you interact with and interacts with you the most and directly, the police. 
Mm. So, but what, what, how do you relate that to athletic commissions? Athletic commissions are in charge of how judges get trained, mm-hmm. how people get licensed, how events are run, how, so all this stuff. So if they fuck up or if these judges do a bad job or the referee is incompetent, well, someone has to be accountable, right? right? They're filtered. They're never accountable. Right. They're hardly ever made to be accountable. That is a good analogy then, right? Because what you're seeing with the justice system when you see when when people who live in the hood see police brutality over and over and over again and nothing ever happens mm-hmm. and then finally the world pays attention and it's really interesting how there's been many George Floyds right yes there's been many situ- I mean even the Eric Garner case in New York which is equally egregious um, in terms of like what the actual crime was it was nothing like George Floyd right. was nothing. you know at worst give him a ticket. Right. Whatever. If you have to. Or, you know what? Maybe try having a conversation with them and just saying, like, dude, like, come on. Well, the George Floyd one, too, is like a fucking fake $20 bill gets you in a cage. Yeah, and I realized 20 that bucks? A, a counterfeit bill is a felony, whatever. How are you going to prove that the guy did it? I don't know. You know how you prove that he deliberately. Yeah. I mean, there are count, there's counterfeit bills in circulation that nobody knows about. Somebody gave me a counterfeit hundred once. See? Yeah. I mean, and it's I just, didn't, I just, I was looking, I was like, this seems fucking weird. Yeah. And then I, I don't remember how I figured out that it was an actual counterfeit hundred. I don't remember. It was quite a while ago, like more than 10 years mm-hmm. ago. But I remember looking at it like, oh, it feels off. But they can get pretty goddamn close. It's true. And if you're not paying attention, and, and, and wasn't George Floyd on drugs? Yes. I mean, they said he was high. They say he, they say he was on uh, potentially a variety of drugs, yeah. you know. So, so how the fuck is he going to pay attention to whether or not a bill is legit? I don't know. If and, you're and, whacked out. You know, it's been really interesting to me to see people come out and try to... I don't know if they're necessarily trying to justify, but they're they're definitely taking the side of trying to demonize George. And I'm like, because of his his previous stuff about like the the, the home invasion with the pointing a gun at a pregnant woman's belly and where he's on drugs and what have you. And mm. I go, you know what? Whether you you don't even realize this, but you just made the greatest argument for why he shouldn't be dead. Because whether you've done something terrible or you've been the best person ever. You need to get the same amount of justice as anybody else. Equal treatment under Equal the law. Equal treatment. That you yeah. need to be, if you if if you have to be put into cuffs or anything like that, if you have to be brought in, whether you did X Y Z or you did you know the nicest thing ever and you just had this one slip up that was real, it's it has to be the same across the board. That is the great argument that why uh, police have to be held far more accountable than your average citizenry. And that means not to just land a bunch of shit on top of their head and like live up to this, you know, dumb fuck. No, it's why you need to prepare them and help them and foster them to be able to be capable. Like who's ever going to be capable of doing anything if you don't give them the right support? I can't send in some amateur just started whatever fighter go to go out there and fight Ben Askren. That's never going to – I'm just going to get them murdered. Like they're they're not capable, but I you know over time maybe I can get them to the position and maybe they'll never be capable of being able to fight a Ben Askren or maybe they're not capable of being a police officer, but also maybe they're not capable of being a lot of things. But there is something that they are capable for. But when that leaves the realm of my responsibility, then that's a different story. Well, when Jocko was on the podcast, and obviously Jocko has a, a deep level of experience at training people mm-hmm. in war, 
I mean, and training Navy SEALs, training the elite of the elite. And he said they should be doing 20% of all their time on the job training. 20%. Yep. I agree. Because they, they train for a few hours when they first get the job, and then the rest of their life is just doing the job. Yes. He's like, that's crazy. It is crazy. There should be de-escalation training. There yep. should be psychological training, yep. coaching. You yep. should be able to figure out how to handle a situation. And when you see someone who's abusing someone, like the other cops that were around. Yep. Step in. Step Do in. something. Step in. You know, yeah. if, if a cop needs to put knees on necks for seven minutes on anyone, you're, you're right. incompetent. I'm, and, yes. and the thing is, it's not as if I can't understand and be sympathetic for how difficult a job that must be. Right. Okay. Uh, but there is no way to have a rule of law society and proxy out your violence to another apparatus instead of you doing it yourself without that apparatus fighting handicapped all the time. It's just it's just the way it has to be. You know, the dude that freaked out at the at, he was he was getting arrested and he had, he was drunk at his car and what have you and then he finds out he's going to he's actually going to go be taken in for for this DUI like oh shit steal the taser or what okay I, I get all that but as soon as he you fucked up and he got away and his back's to you can't shoot him sorry you just can't shoot him well i think their point is that he was shooting the taser while he was turned around and when they shot him he was pointing the taser at them yeah. and that's why you're shooting him in the back i get it and but it was what two cops? How um, many cops are there? I, I believe there was two cops. I don't know. You got a partner. Yeah. Sorry, you gotta trust him. Don't blow don't blast this dude in the back. I, even when he shoots his fucking the taser that he stole off you. Eventually you got his car. You know who the fuck he is. You'll just have to show up and be like, Man, I know this is real bad and I'm sorry that it's real bad and I'm sure you never intended it for be to, to be this real bad. But we got to do something. Someone had a real good point that you shouldn't call the police for something like that in the first place because the person is drunk and they're asleep in their car and there should be someone yep. you can call that where that person knows they're not going to get arrested. Someone says, listen, yeah. man, we're going to get you an Uber. We're good. You're well, all right. Look at right. how much – that's a, that's another part of this whole thing. And that this all this falls into all of this stuff. We need that. We're constantly calling on the police to do fucking everything. No one wants to just be responsible for their own life. They don't right. want to take the agency of protecting their own things, uh, standing up, be, being who they, being their own agent in the world. They always want like, oh shit, something happens. Call this person. Call that person. Always, you, know, you got a problem with someone at work? Sit down, have a conversation with them. No, no, fuck that. Call HR. Call this. Right. Sue this person. It's always everybody wants to 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 met out. Their responsibilities to something else. Well, the no. system is structured that way. Well, I mean, if you're in an office and you have a dispute with someone and you sit down and want to talk to them person to person, you're putting yourself in a handicap. If you have a mm -hmm. real dispute with a person, like say if someone did something to you that you found questionable or against the rules, like you have, you're incentivized to contact HR. Yeah, like they, they really push that. You're yeah. right. You're right, Joe. And, and that is... That's bureaucracy for mm -hmm. you. Bureaucracy will always grow. Don't get will... a job. That's what I say to people. Yeah. <laughs> Someone needs to do those jobs, but it shouldn't be you. Yeah. Well, get I, out of there. I'm get not, of I'm not in the nine to five no, for a good reason. Yeah. I've worked in uh, 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 environments of that nature with HRs and all that kind of stuff, <sighs> working in tech and Ooh. doing other things. And I've, I've done sales. I've done menial stuff. I've You're not in tech. structured for that. No, I'm not. I mm. had a real. Uh, I had some struggles with it. I really Most did. Most people aren't. I mean, you you neuter a person when you make them work in those environments, man or woman. It's not natural. No, it's not natural. It's not natural to like. 
it's it's I mean cooperative ventures are fantastic yes. as long as the cooperation is is mutually beneficial and natural. Correct. Like if you have two good friends and you're like, hey man, let's start a fucking motorcycle company mm-hmm. together. Let's make motorcycles. And you're like, yay, let's do it. And then you're doing it together and you're enjoying it. And you li- you yeah, you just, there's problems, but you enjoy communicating and Correct. working together. If you you're a person you want to make a living, you have to join a cooperative venture that you know, you're you're in an office with people that you might not ever hang out with in real life. And then when you get in coffee, some creepy fuck says some weird shit about your ass. And you're like, God damn it. And you're a woman and you have to deal with this like you're walking out to your car and he's mm-hmm. asking you to go to dinner with him or something. You're like, this is bullshit. This is not what I signed up for. Right. I, I just want to make a living. Like I get it from all points of view. But at the same time, you, you would like to be able to think that if you can just go and say, hey, I'm not interested. You know? I would like that. But if I was a woman, I would never believe that. Guys are disgusting. Guys are pretty disgusting. There's, and there's so many weak guys. There's so many weak guys that would, when a woman will, like I was reading this thing about the Unabomber, about um, one of the things that happened with the Unabomber when, with his brother, the brother had, uh, he had to d- chastise the Unabomber because the Unabomber when uh, Ted Kaczynski, he had this issue with a woman where he was interested in her and she wasn't interested in him. And when she wasn't interested in him anymore, he started leaving all these fucked up notes for her uh, and saying horrible shit to her. And the brother yeah. had to like, like that's real with men. And for a woman, that shit's scary. See, like for a man, it's scary. Like, oh, this bitch is going to slash my tires or she's going to say I raped her. Or she's going to make up a story about me. I can get I can get fired. I can get arrested. That's scary for men, right? Yeah. But for a woman, they have to worry about their actual life. Correct. It's yep. another level men of scary. Men are more, well, Peterson's already laid this out. Men men are more um, agents of, of physical violence and action than women are. Yes. Women are more uh, character assassination. Espionage. And, you know, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which completely makes sense. But, you know, now you, you shove them in this environment together and you say, like, now don't allow anything to go sideways. Right. You know, it, it's hard enough for men and women to try and figure out how to interact with each other in a space to even get in each other's pants, to create anything of, of value. I mean, it's just not easy. Right. And, and then you uh, have office, like, people actually do wind up dating. Yes. Which is fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really typical, though, right? <laughs> of so course. it's like, uh, you're working together all so day. So many, uh, or look at gyms. Oh, yeah. Jesus oh, my Christ. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then you're also dealing with, like, emotionally damaged people for the most part. I mean, half of the people that are fighters are fucked up. Like, yeah, fighters are, are, are an interesting— uh, and They keep it together through fighting. And yeah. through, I mean, it's not like they chose to be fucked up. A lot of them are fucked up through physical and sexual abuse, and that's what led them to fighting in the first place, to, to try to exercise some of those demons. And then you have them involved in relationships with each other, and they're training together. Yeah. And then there's other guys around, and then there's other girls around. And then this, it's fucking madness. There was some studies or, or there was at least something about how people were getting really into doing yoga. And now all of a sudden, all these people in yoga studios are fucking each other like mad. Oh, yeah. And so and they're like, well, what's happening is these people are getting into better shape. Their testosterone's going up. All these different things are happening. And I'm like, and to me, I just thought, oh, so you started being more towards a more natural state of being, you know, being physical, being active, being, now I understand that this is in a very uh, controlled uh, procedural environment. It's not like you're running around trying to get an elk because if you don't, your tribe's going to die, but you people need to be active. They just also, need to. Also, in yoga, it's very sexual. 
I mean, the there girls is are a wearing, big sexual uh, yeah. uh, aspect to yoga. There are some sex related, little. and then there's yeah, you get those 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 uh, <laughs> those tights that are made to like uh, lift mm-hmm. and separate the butt cheeks and all this stuff. And, and besides that, there's just an intimacy in the fact that you're struggling together, mm-hmm. like you've overcome this thing together. And exactly. Then, and then you want to go out to lunch. I look at that with I look at that with martial arts training too. Sure. You, you guys are struggling together. You're overcoming together. You're both facing adversity, the same adversity, and dealing with it in your own ways. Yep. And that creates camaraderie. It mm-hmm. really does. It, it does. And it can create an intense uh, rapport, but that doesn't necessarily mean even that that can be sufficient or that 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 relationship can then go towards something more long term and firm right which you know we we get, we're so great at lying to ourselves and fooling ourselves all the time like oh i'm so intense with this person and you know, oh we we hooked up and this and that and uh, and then you start getting together and then it's it's a shit show you know uh because you thought that just because you guys had this one metric at which you guys were, were both very intense that that would cover for everything else. And it's like, well, no, that's not how relationships are built. And that's oh, humans have a lot of fucking things that need to be checked. A lot of boxes. <laughs> hey, there's a great website or a great YouTube that I send all of my friends and, and, and all of my fighters for sure called Academy of Ideas. And this dude has these awesome lectures on – uh, all kinds of things dealing with with life and current climate stuff and all these different things, but all dealing uh, taking pieces and building these lectures around uh, philosophers and and uh, and and throughout historical uh, historically uh, correct lens or, or not historically correct, but uh, you know going through papers and 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 pieces by all these people throughout time, and it's it's been. Uh, really, you know, things like that. I mean, we we need or things to help us with orientation in such an absurd world, and we take for granted that things are just microphones and cameras, and I don't know how many tens of people are going to watch this because I'm on the show. But uh, you know, uh, like I I have this whiskey, right? I I love the shit out of it, but I'm not making a whiskey to be a celebrity with a product. You know, otherwise I'd have vodka because that's just a who gives a shit and quality thing. Is it vodka the, have, the move? Vodka is always the move because it's bullshit. Because is it really? vodka is just supposed to be odorless, tasteless, grain, neutral grain alcohol. Ooh, that's a good bullshit. Point. And so you want to make your stupid vodka so you can be at bottle service and idiots are like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this vodka. It's like, who, I, I could get vodka for $14. It's just as good as that. Like, who gives a fuck? Well, like, you could take vodka that's cheap and put it through a bunch of filters. They put them through water filters, and apparently yeah. you can make it taste really good. Uh, you, look, unless shout out to all the shysters. Unless it's uh, depending on whether it's made from wheat or potato or triticale, whatever, right? Like the grain base maybe might influence some of it. But the standard definition for making vodka in the United States is odorless, tasteless, distilled at uh, over a uh, hundred, up to hundred and eighty proof. I mean, come on. You're not going to get that much different. The only way that you could really fuck that up is if you really don't care about the process of fermentation that much. You're just trying to get the product through, and you're not that concerned with the, the source of ingredients. So but, what is it? It's like a, a name brand thing where people really get into, like, Tito's or something like that? They yeah, just, well, you know, hear about the name. I would say research René Girard and the medic desire for that kind of thing. Mm. So you see 
uh, somebody else is like, well, I have to have the you know celebrity vodka A because mm. what have you. And someone else goes, oh, oh, they like celebrity vodka A. Well, if they like celebrity vodka A, celebrity vodka A must be the vodka to buy. And someone else sees that and then so on and so forth. And now people are like, we have to have celebrity vodka A because it's what the other people like. I remember P. Diddy had a vodka, right? Ciroc? Ciroc. It's still around. His shit though, right? Uh, it's it's whatever. Like, whether, whether why am I going to pay for Ciroc? to it. If, yeah. Because you want to look cool. I could buy... I could buy I could buy pretty much any low low tier regular vodka and be and get just as much out of it as any. Right, but you're Josh Barnett. If you're a knucklehead that's getting bottle service to impress the ladies, you want to get something that's got a name brand, right? You want well, to drive true. a Mercedes. Yeah, it, it is, you want uh, to wear an Armani. Now that's a matter of yeah. are you looking for external validation or own personal validation? Is the job is the the job to to get a bunch of people uh, so that they're all partying with you, or is the job for them to seem as though you're specifically cooler because of the type of vodka you have? Isn't it funny that the commercials that attract people to those particular products show these sort of superficial relationships? Mm -hmm. They show someone popping the bottle. They show all the other people looking at them. Everybody looks. Looks like they've got a bunch of money. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All that. Yeah. It's they're building this 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 archetype, uh, this idealization. But I'd say part of the problem with that is the idealize the the ideal that they're pitching is a really vapid one, right? Mm -hmm. It has to do with like, okay, they're wearing an expensive suit or they have exp like money doesn't doesn't give you any idea about the character of the person or the things. Right. The value of it. You know, um, part of, before I got into bed with these guys to to start making whiskey with them, I said, well, I got to be there to come and drink it. You know, I'm not I'm not going to put my name on anything that I don't that I don't like and that I'm not into. Did period. they design it based on what you enjoy? Well, like, they had they a mesquite smoked uh, bourbon on the market called Warbringer and I came up and they, they listen to this folks. Ah, it's legit. This is a an actual 19th century uh, bourbon bottle design too. So uh, I came up there to drink that. I drank there. Hey, school. I came up there to try basically all the stuff that they had, and I got to drink the the, the this rum that we're working on straight out of the barrel. It was fucking unreal. And from that, I go, okay, we got something here. And then I drink even their their vodkas are the, the infusions they were doing with them. Uh, is that yeah. a chicken killing another chicken? It is a chicken killing another chicken. It is. It is. It is a blood oath level battle right there. And I got talking to the head distiller David uh, about my tastes in whiskey and what what I was looking to do, and we were already on the same path. And so, uh, single barrel um, cask strength. This is batch two, uh, which has like a big dark chocolate note to it and a, like a, a How do they cherry do that? finish. How do you make a dark chocolate cherry finished note? Well, for one, the ingredients. You know, first we're, of all, I'm not smelling any chocolate. I don't taste any chocolate. You don't, talk, you don't taste chocolate? I smell the smoke for sure. Oh, for sure. But leave your nose in it. I can smell that dark chocolate element, that more bitter side of things. I think uh, I'm too stupid for that stuff. No, nah, like I just people, think it's about. Uh, like when people do like when they do wine. I've been to a wine tasting sure. before and they swim around like this is um, I'm, I'm very oaky. I taste the tannins <laughs> and I'm like. Well, here's the, the thing is thinking. About? So one of one of the people, a part of this company, uh, Kat, she's a whiskey sommelier. So mm, when I, I when we asked for notes from her, 
I'm like, oh, fuck. I am just blown away about all this stuff. And I'll, I'll smell. I'm like, yeah, I, I get. Yeah, I can kind of see. I can see that. Oh, oh you're right there. Yeah, exactly. But uh, uh, but alcohol. ultimately, you got to just like it. You're like, you smell what you smell. You relate it to the things that you can relate it to. What are you and that's say, it. What are you laughing at? The, working at restaurants for a long time, we had to do wine tastings. And one of the times the, the – Note they told us to look for was cat piss. Oh, <laughs> in the wine, and it, I've never forgotten. I think about it every what? time someone mentions it. That's an Ohio thing, bro. <laughs> I'm sure someone's gonna be this like, "Yeah, a, that's it." It's high quality, pure grade cat piss uh, right it's here. The flavor of it. I mean, I don't oh. know, the smell, the ammonia. I have no idea, but like, it's uh, always stuck mm, on anytime. That is the number one problem it. with having cats, man. They fucking piss, piss in a on box everything. In your house. Yeah. Oh, well, they'll, it, they'll, if you don't clean the box, they'll piss in your couch. I've never had a cat that lived indoors. Really? Never. No, I oh, don't. My, God. I, my cats always go outdoors. Those are murderers. I know. Cats that go outside are the most ruthless fucking animals. And that, that's the only kind of cat I've ever had. They are responsible for, in the bees, billions. People don't know this if they have cats. And they think the cats are cute and they're adorable. They are, they are adorable. But they're responsible for billions of mammals and billions of birds yes. in the United States every year. Yeah, cat uh, pee. Cats Believe it or not, cats it pee is an aroma. Many, <laughs> fuck. A high-quality Sauvignon Blanc. Oh. Funky and tangy smell. Oh, if you're uh. a cat person, <laughs> can be eerily similar to another odor which you find often come in contact. Wow. Yeah, How? Okay. That's Let, let's say it does have a cat pee note. That's How is that going to encourage people to want to drink it? You know, what, are you, this, what are you in the mood this, for? You know, I this. think cat pee would go with this steak right now. Cat's pee, Tim Aiken, master of wine. <laughs> Scatological tasting terms are comparatively... Great burgundy smells of shit. What the fuck, man? It's very weird. It's very, it gets really weird. <laughs> That's how you know you've lost the plot. Like, you yes. got so far that somebody goes, you know what? How do I... Fuck, I'm just sound like everybody else right now. How do I turn this up a notch? You know how what? I, I'm looking for this, cat this, this smells like... Specific, like, Bangkok street food diarrhea. <laughs> Very specific. This, this smells like, uh, you know, a, a week-old yeast infection. I'm looking at a porta potty <laughs> from the 80s at a Guns N' Roses concert. <laughs> this, smells like, uh, this smells like a payphone that's been in uh, 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 Skid Row in L.A. Oh, for the last 10 years. Payphones. Those uh, used to be a thing. I do have a description, though. So I'm, we're in China, me and this fighter, Alyssa. And I got Alyssa uh, uh, this fight in in China prior to this whole tour I had set up. Um, so um, uh, Alyssa Garcia is a 105-pound fighter of mine. But I got her this fight at 115 in China. Then I was shipping her to go train with uh, um, Santian Noy, uh, his Thai boxing gym. That's John Wayne Parr's coach. And then she was going to then fly back to Tokyo, finish her camp. I was going to meet her, and then she fights in Ryzen. Or, no, she fought in, in deep. So we're over there, and we're being taken out to this big fancy dinner ahead of the event. And the promoter's there. We're in Shanghai. It's all this big deal at this private room. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I had some Chinese wine once. It was it was awesome. You know, I'm down to drink whatever you guys want to drink. He's like, I got the best stuff for you. You just wait. All right. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so we got these tiny little glasses. And what they're pouring in it is this stuff called uh, baiju, this Chinese wine, and uh, or this Chinese fermented uh, uh, liquor. And I'm like, oh, well, that's that's got a nose on it. And I, I, I drank it. I'm just like, uh, uh what the <laughs> – 
And I, but it's the kind of thing that um, this is probably a pretty, this is a real expensive one they're telling me, and they just keep pouring ones. And at some point, Alyssa goes, dude, I can smell that shit from here. Why do you keep drinking? And I go, do you think I'm going to be the guy to turn over and be like, yeah, this sucks. I hate it. You know, uh, two on your fucking fancy wine, your fancy booze. And she goes, well, what's it taste like? I go, okay. This tastes like an old abandoned home that is being <laughs> rained on for years. And what you've done now is all this water has leaked through onto the floorboards. These dirty floorboards have been pissed on and dead cats are on, all this kind of stuff. And it's all gone through these floorboards. And then it's and this water has been collected and it's been filtered out through a hobo's sock. You know, that's what this <laughs> shit tastes like. And she goes, What the fuck, man? I go, Do you want one? She's like, Why would I ever Just do didn't that? I didn't know what it's like. I would oh, take it. I would you. say pour me one of them babies. Oh. How do we get that stuff here? Oh, it's here. It's Next here. Time you can buy here. it. You want Next me to bring some bijou? Here. We're gonna we're gonna drink some bijou together. Oh man. Next time. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna set it up. I need to know. Oh man, it is. It'll probably happen in Texas. It's though. brutal. I've heard people describe it as it tastes like something you run, you like clean a carburetor with. Uh, it's it's fermented sorghum and other stuff. Ugh. It's there's some weird tastes that like cultures sort of have like almost rituals with. Like for uh, Iceland, they're into that fermented, fermented shark. shark. Ugh, Bourdain told me it was the single most disgusting food he ever ate. I remember being on tour in Japan for New Japan Pro Wrestling and having – so it's pretty common that as you go from town to town, you would then go out and uh, you'd be taken out by sponsors for the town, the local sponsors or maybe whoever put the event on, uh, what have you. And so I'd get taken out to these restaurants and they would always order stuff like cow intestines. There's four different types that are raw or this or that. Ugh. And they're always I, – I figure what they're trying to do is like – Test me, like, see if you'll fucking eat this. See if, see, if, does Mikey like it or what? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, you're probably the only person laughing at that I one. I know, here. that's we're old. That's <laughs> we're life old cereal. <laughs> and that's so, life cereal uh, from the 80s. I remember being given something called chanja, which is a, a Korean dish, actually. Um, it's f- raw fish guts in a fermented, like a, a, a spicy soy. Paste. Now, the spicy soy paste on its own is, is actually it's pretty good, and they use it in a lot of different stuff. Uh, might be considered gochujang. I'm not sure. But, but you know, it's raw fish guts. And so they bring this shit out, and they're like, here, eat this. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I'm, I'm like, but I ain't no bitch. So I start eating this <laughs> stuff, and they're looking at me. Do you like it? No. <laughs> but, you know, I have to try it. And my whole th- the whole time I'm just thinking about this tastes like bait. This tastes like whatever it was we were using to catch salmon growing up. This tastes like fucking bait. And I, I can't eat salmon egg either. Like it's just too briny, salty. Uh, That's but, a weird one, right? But salmon I, egg's a yeah, weird one. It's just super. But I realized that that at least in this case, Japanese people's palate is more accustomed to these kind of right. uh, really powerful. Um, you know, something even similar across the board. So a friend of mine is uh, Ludo, Chef Ludo. And I w- we used to go to his his Ludo Bites events. And so I went to this one with my buddy. And uh, he we, we get this uni something. It was like was lobster, uni, uni, whatever. And I love sea urchin. It was so sea briny. <laughs> it, was just, it was just the first bite, me and my buddy uh, uh, Tomo, 
we go, oh, that's, that's not so bad. Second bite, it's like, okay, now we're already reaching maximum saturation on this. Third bite, it's like, we can't fucking do it anymore. And I'm, it was just it was just overpowering us. Like our, our taste buds just couldn't handle it. It wasn't that I would sit there and say that, um, that uni is bad. It's just that I couldn't enjoy it. Like it was just too much for me. And I tell Ludo, and he goes, yeah, well, he goes, well, we have a huge Asian clientele that loves to come to these Ludo bites and they love the uni derived stuff. I go, it must be just, you know, a palate thing. It really must. Cause mm-hmm. I, I just, I can't, I can't handle it. Yeah. The uni is a weird one. Like, uh, my kids are into a lot of weird food. They'll try everything. They love sushi. Mm-hmm. They, they've eaten wild game since they were babies. But uh, I can't get them to eat sea urchin. They think it's disgusting. Do they just stomp around with, with like, big, giant fixed blade knives everywhere? No, and, like, they're pretty normal. <laughs> like spike <laughs> bracelets. Well, in my head. They're yeah. pretty normal for, with a, with for a girls. With a piece of elk jerky hanging out of their mouth. But they like to freak their friends out. Like, my daughter, um, when she was 10, her friend's like, what's your favorite food? She goes, I like bear. I like to eat bear. They're like, what? <laughs> like, they're like looking at her like, are you serious? She's like, yeah, you ever have bear sausage? It's amazing. My dad makes bear candy. And they're, they're, they're like, they don't know what to do. You know, the average kid's never going to eat bear I've their only whole had, life. I've only had bear once. And I, I did like it, uh, what good. I had. It was uh, I've never a, had grizzly, but I've had a lot of black bear. I have no idea what kind of bear this was. I'm not too hip to the bear population or bear, bear genie. Uh, genus of far Most, east russia oh <laughs> but i was far in a east banya russia? i was in a banya uh which is a very communal thing in russia mm-hmm. and uh so i'm in kabarovsk up in the 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 far eastern north where it's negative 30 degrees below at night and i'm up there we're in this banya and Explain they have a, a banya, a banya is a it's basically just like a big sauna and so, but there's a, it's a traditional setup where they have a an oven with rocks and stone, and uh, it's a they will put throw water over the stones and things like that. It's not it's not exactly it's not a dry one like a finish, but it's it's as similar to any other sort of sauna setups as you can come across. But it's not a steam room, and that's also famous for they have a process where they take these bundles of. Uh, tree uh, branches with leaves and everything on them and they'll use white oak uh, eucalyptus other and put blends together and what they'll do is they'll take these two bundles and they'll whip the air around you as you're sitting there they they whack your body with it and the these leaves these bundles are made of of mostly fresh so they're still oils they're still um, you know, live or, or there's still elements within it. It's not fully dried out or anything like that. And so this thing is all being hit upon you and they'll hit your feet and they'll do all this kind of stuff, <laughs> to be honest. So the first time I ever went through this, this guy is like beating my ass with these things. And I'm, I'm just like, okay, <laughs> I can get through this. I can get through. I know it's got to be healthy. You know, I've, I, I've read the Wikipedia. It sounds all great. And I'm sitting there and, and you go through sessions, like three minute sessions or whatever. And, and I'm on the third one, which is like towards the end. And he's, he's, he's whacking away and he's whipping these things around me and circulating all this super hot air. And I swear to God, my pale ass, sensitive white boy skin was just felt like it was on fucking fire and to the point that i started i'm like i got i got i, got, I can't do this anymore. and so i get up and i'm 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 yelling in japanese in russia and jumping into a cold pool because i'm <laughs> i i'm so fucked up from getting my ass beat by this little russian guy with a pile of sticks why japanese 
I don't fucking know. <laughs> I have no idea. And I'm sitting just, here cooling off. Spent I'm so like, much time in Japan that like what the what? <laughs> Did you not know any Russian? No, I so don't. You just I don't, substituted I don't know. for another language I, I that you I barely just, know. <laughs> I just my brain was in a different place, dude. And as you can relate, when when you're sitting in those things and it's pretty fucking hot and you're trying to get through it, like sometimes you're just you're trying to. Get I would past imagine those. the beating from the sticks is like the next level, right? Uh, because it's frustrating enough just dealing with the heat. Well, think about it. right. So you're sitting still and you're having maybe you're having a tough sauna session. And you're like, okay. If I don't move enough, I'll get through this. Right now, this motherfucker is is pretending to be a fucking helicopter spinning around the room. <laughs> and he's like a Beyonce fucking dance number, getting all this hot air blown all over you, like flying, like yeah, caressing it up your taint, all this shit. Whoa, and you're just like, ah, really? Yeah, dude. There's no way of stopping this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have towels or no towels? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you either or, man. It ain't, so you're lying face yeah, down, yeah. basically so naked. Yeah, basically naked. And having he's hitting your taint with this stick. blistering. He's hitting your whole body. Very man. rare that a man hits your taint with sticks. Very rare. I can say that it, it has have its a. Uh, it's got its there's enjoyable there. minutes. Yeah, there's something yeah. to it. You know, it's a little taint, something. Taint often little, uh, really neglected part of the human body. Neglected. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start the whole uh, the whole taint uh, specific movement around uh, how you need to massage and stretch the taint, and you have to uh, you know. I bet your taint is all locked up. I bet the fascia around your taint is just <laughs> is keeping you from being able to kick properly. Yeah. Uh, so this guy. So anyways, I, I, I get through all this, and they have a phone that goes right to the the office. And they have a menu and all this kind of stuff. And people will bring food as well. And usually like samagon, which is Russian moonshine, which is it's essentially like vodka type stuff. So they get uh, hammered? And oh, then it's they fucking do the great. It's beautiful. I love it. And so they pull up this menu all in like Cyrillic Russian. So fuck, I don't know what any of this is. And so I'm just sitting here like Google Translate. You're trying to get this thing. Like, I, I don't know anything. I can't, I can't communicate. cell phone service out there? Uh uh, well, I download the the languages that I need when I'm in countries, just in case that's the oh. problem, so I can get translation. You use Android. I is do. That, is that better for that? I think Google. I couldn't say one of the. I other. think Google Translate works better on Android phones. I believe. Uh, I mean, perhaps so you a, you have a Pixel. Uh, no, I have uh, uh, Samsung. Oh, uh, mm. the what is this Galaxy? one? Galaxy Galaxy S nine Edge uh, X. Go. 23. It's basically Elon Musk's uh, next child's name. How come you haven't uh, switched over to iPhone? You're resisting. No, no, never. Not going to do I it. I knew it. That's Fuck what I'm that noise. You. you also drive a manual transmission. I should tell everybody this. Yeah, I drive a six speed car. Yes. Yeah. No, I. Uh, You're part of the resistance. No. <laughs> yeah, hashtag. Uh, it, it basically but, came down to the fact that uh, Apple is too much in charge of your, your, your hardware and your software. The the minute the iPhone came out, I was like, "Cool phone," but you're telling me I got to pay you more money to expand my my memory or my storage capacity when I have a fucking memory card? Do you think that I don't know that that exists? Go fuck yourself, Jobs. I know I know you you're on this, but it's like I feel like Joey Pants in the Matrix when he's eating the steak. Uh -huh. and he's like, I want to be an important person over here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, like he's willing to be in the Matrix. Yes, and know he's in the Matrix as long as he gets a good experience. 
That's how I've, I've, I've gone to Android, and I have an Android. I have a Galaxy um, um, a Note. You were a Pixel guy, too, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And you, did you, you liked your Pixel? They're good. Okay. They're good. The problem is AirDrop. AirDrop's an issue. Like, AirDrop's amazing. Oh, yeah. And then the walled garden of Apple. Like, all my apps work together. My notes my notes sync up. And I use other Note applications so that I can sync them up mm -hmm. with my uh, Android phone. But the reality is the experience in iOS is better. Ah. Uh. You know, I, I, I'm not here to say that uh, the Apple isn't creating things that are worthwhile to a degree. It's just that I, I refuse to spend that kind of money to have a phone. I just won't do it. And this is a, it. this is an S9. I mean, this thing is still good. Three years old. It works still just good. great. Uh, I get it. But uh, here's my thought. I was like, Am I just by trying to be a rebel? Am I having an inferior experience? So I had, to, I had to sit and think about it, and I realized I was. I have an iPod Touch. Oh, congratulations. Because the only that, – besides that <laughs> and iTunes – You can bring it to a museum. <laughs> <laughs> I have no interest in having any Apple products. Really? I just – I don't need them. Um, I use a laptop that's a Windows laptop, though. Mm -hmm. I use Windows everything. I use Windows everything. Really? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. You're a rebel. Well, I also – I mean, I remember when uh, having to uh, – and I've had computers in my household since I don't know when. I'm not like, I'm not like some super programming geek or anything like that. But I remember what it was like. You had to, to operate things. You had to learn how to use DOS and, mm. and other operating systems before that, or using uh, Unix type based stuff to get on the internet and do things uh, from the library back in the day. So for me, I just want the ability to to get what I need and to have the amount proper amount of storage as necessary, and and, and that's it. My phone isn't for holding music on it it's not for it's i have spotify which by the way I, i've just took over what used to be the adrenaline workout spotify playlist mm. and now it is the war masters workout congratulations and so i put together 96 97 songs for this playlist for people to just go absolutely fucking ape shit in the gym and uh and get their shit done and as so, a part of my spotify deal i am putting together spotify workouts hell I yeah a, i have a cookout workout or yes. a cookout playlist i have a workout playlist i have uh, i have a bunch of different playlists i yes. have a driving playlist nice nice yeah, yeah uh so i i now you have the warm masters workout so if you guys are out there and you want to be fueled by the the uh incredibly powerful uh thing that is metal if I'm you want to get a, some a serious gains that's it. Yes. <laughs> we got a Monomarth, we got Behemoth, we got Bolt Thrower, we got Dissection. Oh my uh, goodness, there it is. Yeah, there's this. me from the Every Time I Die show. <laughs> He balancing some dude on your fucking head. That guy's like over he, 200 pounds. I threw, threw, I threw people. Head. <laughs> oh, it doesn't end. I threw like 50 people off the stage that oh, night. That's uh, my buddy to the right, that's Andy Williams. He's in AEW as a pro wrestler right now as well. Uh, you see, you know, Keith, all <laughs> oh the every time I guy guys. Keith's up there just like, uh, <laughs> don't, don't crush me while I'm up here trying to sing. There's this chick who must have been this tiny little blonde thing who maybe weighed. 110 pounds at on her best day who i chucked her once and she comes back she goes i'm gonna do it while holding this beer the whole fucking time ah. and mind you it was a can but still there's a i have a picture that i got from someone where she's launched into the air she'll has her beer she lands on the crowd and when she comes back to backstage she goes yeah i didn't spill it that's hilarious like, you're a fucking champ <laughs> 
But well, uh, the only way it'd have to be a can. Like you wouldn't throw over the glass, would you? No, uh, uh-uh. nah, because the the, the, the to risk be a is too much. Drunk. The risk is too much. But there's moments where you like, oh, I roll the <laughs> dice. <laughs> Throw her with a glass. You know, no risk, no reward, right. man. Maybe a shot glass. I'll throw someone with a shot glass, right? Because a shot glass is hard to break. It's pretty hard to break, yeah. yeah. But a beer, like a regular beer glass, that's oh, pretty that easy Oh, that thing would shatter break. pretty yeah, easy. And then it's just uh, nonstop. And a pit, man, that's bad uh, news. Bad, bad news. fucking news. Uh, but yeah, so I've taken over this Spotify playlist. In fact, you know, I've been a really busy little fucker come uh, COVID. People are like, oh, man, how you doing? <laughs> busy as shit. Well, that's yeah. good, man. I that's launched a, a new website. JoshBarnett.com is Beautiful. up and running. Um, we got the Spotify takeover that I just did where I'm running this War Masters workout playlist. We got the whiskey stuff. We have more whiskey projects in, in the, the works as well as rum. We have our vodka of all things. Although That's the a sign of a man who adapts. And, and, you know, there's a challenge with – I came on here a long time ago and I said – Life gives you the opportunity to grow in as many ways as you want to choose to. Right? You can you you weren't you didn't come out of the womb and just start shooting arrows. You, it was something you decided you wanted to do. And as you went through life, you know Joe Rogan's journey brought him to all these different things, and from those he acquired new things, new new endeavors. But all these things required growth, required having to suck or whatever or deal with new things to begin with. I'm learning how to distill. My, our head distiller is like, I want you running these runs from front. I want you to learn how to do this from start to finish. So and, you're and, you're part of the entire process. I'm becoming a part of the entire process. Right, so even me, with this talk stuff, talk me through that. So with, how with does this that work? stuff, it started off with. So we we talked about what we were going to do as far as a whiskey was concerned and what we wanted it, uh, it to resemble. And by the way, it's mesquite smoked because this place is in Oxnard. This is a Southwest derived variant on what you might think of even as like Isla scotches, which is peat smoked. Well, we we use mesquite because that's mesquites found in the Southwest. And we finish it in sherry cask. So uh, to so give it that sweetness. And what do you start with? Like, we so start with- First uh, day of work. Yeah. You would take uh, grits corn and grits we would- Grits corn? Grits corn. What is the difference between grits corn the and way the, the quality of the corn kernels itself and the way they're cut to begin with. The mm. way they're initially milled, which leaves them all in, in, in big kernels, but it exposes the sugars in such a way that when we go and we put it out there in the smoker, that all this 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 kernel of corn gets hit, the smoke hits all of it and brings all these sugars to the surface. So you start off with the grits corn mm-hmm. and then before anything happens, it goes into the we smoker. We smoke it. Yeah, we smoke. <clears throat> what kind of smoker? Uh, it's something that he, David, who... <laughs> This guy, I, I, I'm not entirely sure if he has four PhDs or at least multiple PhDs and multiple degrees. I'm not, I, I don't know. He used to be like head of R&D at Procter & Gamble. Really? Like this guy is brilliant. Bonkers brilliant. And uh, uh, in fact, I'm going to, one of my students, uh, Mary works in, she, she works in microbiology. And so I want to bring her up to, to try and mentor under him a little bit. Wow. And learn some shit. Uh, so- Grits corn. Grits corn. Smoker. Like we, a regular we smoke, smoker? Uh, no, it's built out of a, a, a giant, um, uh, one of those big cargo containers. What? A shipping container. And a so grits we're, corn we're smoke, cargo container smoke fest. Yeah, so we're smoking, smoke we're smoking grits corn. And then we- So this is a custom thing that he's built himself. Correct, yeah. So he's using actual wood. Yes. So we, we use uh, mesquite wood chips. So he has some sort of side cart that he's chucking the wood into, yes. and the smoke is going into this- Yep. Cargo yeah, container. Yeah, we is have there a, a, Is there a, a video smoker. of this, Jamie? Uh, it's looking. on the, <laughs> it might be on the Warbringer Bourbon 
website. It might be up there of me, a picture of me shoveling. So it was always chips. Warbringer bourbon, even before the yes. Warmaster. Yeah. So well, they, I think it was because it was Warbringer. Uh, Alfred, one of the investors, came to me and said, "Hey, we could make this fucking thing. That's gonna, you know, we, you know, Conor McGregor's got a whiskey in this." And I go, "Hold on." I'm not here to, to talk bad about Conor McGregor and what he's doing. I don't I don't care if if my product and his product are different. It's fine, you know. Uh, and I understand the marketing potential, but I just I'm a whiskey head. Like I got into this shit living in Japan. Uh, my my family's always drank whiskey. Uh, it's always been around us. But I really got deep into being a connoisseur of this shit living over in Japan, and so. I've, I was actually actively searching to link up with a whiskey distillery. There to, it is. Yeah, there I am shoveling mesquite chips <clears throat> to to create a whiskey. And I know that there's like McConaughey and other people and, you know, Slipknot has a whiskey. Lots of people are doing different booze. But uh, I, I really am involved in creating this. And McConaughey's got whiskey? McConaughey's got a whiskey with wild turkey. Oh. And Wild Turkey's a, a great distillery, man. Is they it? make great shit. All right, all right, blend? Probably. <laughs> well, because McCon- I'm sure it's good, but generally the celebrity route is to make something for the biggest audience possible. Right. Right? I did, I'm like, no, let's put out this big smoky motherfucker. You know? It's very Some people good, are going to be like, I don't dig it. Oh, that's fine. But those for the most part- Those people can suck it. Those people can fuck off. Good. Uh, most people- uh, I've 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 had people come back to me and say this is the smoothest best whiskey they've ever had. And I'm it just makes me happy to bring that into their life. Well, you know? I I love whiskey and it's very good. Well, it's very good. And it's very unique. The, the I, mesquite flavor is very unique. Exactly. Was so, that your idea to no, go mesquite? No, that was that was David. David came uh. up with the, the with the original mesquite formula and all of this and um and then the other portion of portion of the the mash bill is malted rye, or yeah, malted rye. So that goes into a mash, and the way he ferments it is three times as long as a normal whiskey fermentation cycle. So even if you get what's called the white dog, which is the stuff just coming off the still, it hasn't been ba- air, barrel aged in any way. And I sat there with this cat Will from Bourbon Review, and we're drinking straight up. This shit's smooth as hell at 160 proof. Whew. And it's because of the, or, or 135. Sorry, uh, it's because of the the fermentation cycle and the, the fermentation that he the yeast that he uses all this. And uh, as this thing gets done, we had three barrels, three barrels to choose from. And because it's a single barrel product, you got to choose them. So I did. I tested every single barrel, took notes, did my deal, and then we did a blind, and came back again same day. And I tested again, and I chose the same barrel twice. And so we went with barrel seven to be our initial release. This is what uh, barrel eight, and then barrel nine was cycled back into normal Warbringer. And then we've got another barrel sitting there ready to be put together because fucking batch one was done in like two months. It, it was all sold out. It won a gold medal. It was gone. So and- when you is batch seven, batch barrel seven, barrel eight? Do they have the same flavor? No. Oh my goodness! So uh, batch one, which would which was barrel seven, is one hundred nine proof. This right here. This, this is, is batch barrel, two. This is barrel, barrel eight. eight. Barrel eight. So this is different. Yep. And the difference is also in the proof. Yes, in this case, yeah. So once you stick it in the barrel, right? 
You just got you, whatever happens, happens. Right. This is real shit. This is not some mass produced nonsense. No, this is when people say craft mm. distillery or small batch. This is, we get about anywhere from 210 to 230 bottles out of any one barrel. Uh, that's, that's, and once it's gone, it's fucking gone. It's good stuff, dude. That's very good stuff. Yeah. I, and, I appreciate all that. I yeah. appreciate everything you just said. The fact they're doing it that way. I, I that's the thing is, I've always tried to, do everything that I do that way because in a, in a sense, right? If you take the concept of what, what is your word, right? Your word is, is essentially the, the, the social credit on anything you do. And if your word doesn't have value, right? If it doesn't hold up to scrutiny, if it, if it isn't consistent, then no one's going to ever fucking believe you. Mm-hmm. Well, when I'm endorsing things, that's an extension of my word. So if I'm going to put bullshit out in the world that I don't fully invest in, what am I then then my word is going to get degraded. So for even something like a whiskey, you could easily just merchandise it like who gives a fuck, right? You could take that approach or you could take the approach of every bottle of this shit that goes out and gets into someone's hands and touches their lips is an extension of me and my word. And so a better hold up to it. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Like that's fine. It really is fine. Everybody's got their own palate. Yeah, but that's how you approach everything. Like you, you're not a mass-produced guy. I'm not, man. That's why you're using that fucking Samsung phone, <laughs> trying to fight the power. <laughs> my own little rebellion. My own little. Elvis my own little was protest. a hero to most. <laughs> you're out there fighting the power. Yeah, I oh, love it. Fuck. Well, we, look, we need rebels, legit rebels. For real, we do, man. We do. You know? very, today, in particular, it's so easy to get sucked up in the herd mentality. Of course it is. Uh, yeah. Nietzsche would say a man, my, a man goes into a crowd, he, he, he comes in with one mind and gets rid of it and takes on another. Mm-hmm. And it, it's true. You know, uh, There's a difference between the mindset of groups and the mindset of the individual. And I, I'm not one to be like such a hardcore individualist where I think the individual is, is the start. I mean, I believe it is the starting point of everything, but it's not the end point of everything. And we're, we're made to be social creatures. Um, exiling somebody out of a tribe way back when was tantamount to basically giving them a death sentence. Yes. And they've said that somebody being in isolation away from other people can at at a point become more detrimental to even, than even being an alcoholic. I don't know how they came up with that metric, how that, how that lined up per se, but I know that by not being attached to, not, not having proper interaction with others, is, uh, it is, is it's de- degradation to your sense of being, and it is incredibly harmful to you. So we're made to be in groups, and mm-hmm. we're also made to be individuals. Now, I would say that the makeup of what you bring into a group is also related to what you create as an individual. You know, if you if you come in as a, a fully formed, healthy, capable individual, then you're only going to be somebody who could potentially, as long as you can you can keep what's important about yourself, uh, you're only going to be a benefit to such a group. That's what's difficult for people, though, is to 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 have what's called personal sovereignty, mm-hmm. to be able to be yourself in a group. It's very hard for people. Well, yeah, and if a group does something, okay, great. But if you're a part of that group, then you're accountable too. Mm-hmm. You can't just pass it off onto everyone else. There's certainly a little bit of that, but it's also just keeping your ideas the same or not. Like sometimes there's benefit to change 
I mean, there's benefit to for sure to recognizing that these ideas that you have, in a lot of cases, they're really just sort of a defense mechanism, and they've sort of shielded you from growth. And then maybe you run into new people that have new ideas, and these ideas resonate with you in a different way, and you go, oh. Okay, well, now I'm faced with this truth that I can't ignore mm -hmm. that my previous conceptions of the world were twisted in some sort of a way. Uh, how often do you come across people that will fight you tooth and nail to the death to hold on to those preconceived a notions? A lot, man. Exactly. It's a real problem. A simple one I came across was even involved with this COVID stuff was mm -hmm. trying to talk to people about how the the, the mainstream media has had bad narratives from the get, you know, be it they were given bad information, but they fucking doubled down on it all the time. Or if it's the WHO and they're running interference for China, whatever, right? There's mm -hmm. all this manipulation going on around something that is not, that is, it's not subjective. Viruses aren't subjective. You just, you can't play this game with that kind of thing. And people would fight me tooth and fucking nail to defend the mainstream media over it. And I go, look, here's example one, two, three, four, five. Look at how they're all fucking wrong. They're fucked up. They're doing this. They're politicizing. They're doing all these different things for different reasons. But none of it is really for your own betterment of understanding and to be safer and healthier. And or even just to say, we still don't know yet because we just don't have the data. And people fight tooth and nail over this shit because there's so many people that use the current media apparatus as their mainstream sense-making apparatus. And if you tear that away from them, now they have to sit back and go, well, what do I really know? Right. What What is the reality of what I think truth is? What is What is the metric upon understanding now that you've just shown me that? And of course, even at its best, of course, media is going to be faulty at times because it's just made up of people, right. right? We're always going to be imperfect. We're always going to make mistakes, but there is no admitting of mistakes anymore. There's no saying, I was wrong, we well, were wrong. There's also a problem with mainstream media, and it's the same problem that we have with the police. You're giving people an inordinate amount of power. Mm -hmm. And when you give people that amount of power, they don't want to ever let it go. And they don't ever want to say they're wrong, and they don't ever want to admit fault, and they don't ever want to open the door to nuance. Correct. And that's what you see with whether it's CNN or Fox News or any of these motherfuckers. They have this idea that they've been selling you, whether it's this idea about Russia, whether it's the idea about COVID, whether it's the idea about Trump, whether it's the idea about Biden. I mean, they're selling you some shit. And it's, uh, it's very, very difficult to get an unbiased perspective on the world. They came and after you for no reason. You know, they would write all this kind of completely disingenuous, uh, uh, just narrative-driven bullshit around you, a person who brings people on and has conversations and tries to tries to um, flourish that idea of the, the, what are they, the marketplace of ideas, like having conversations and trying to earnestly and sincerely explore things and try to have a better grip on the world and try to better orient themselves towards just knowing and knowledge in addition to even having a fucking good time about it, being well, here. Well, it's a competitive thing, too. I of mean, course when it someone is. reaches a point where they're, re they're, they're interacting with too many people and they have this potential to really influence things in terms of the political process, in terms of the way people view things, mm -hmm. that becomes very dangerous for people that right. have 
a different perspective on things or people that are connected to a traditional machine. True. Whether it's uh, newspapers mm-hmm. or whether it's, you know, and I've, I have friends in both those things. I have sure. friends in media and I have friends, I have people that have apologized for things that other people have written. I'm like, listen, man, this is part of the game. You're not going to rattle me. I'm okay. I get well, it. You accept, you're not, you're not sitting here saying that it's okay but what you're saying is i know what the landscape looks like i know what i expect i understand humans i understand why people would attack me and i understand why you'd even look at very small things that are taken out of context and develop your own perception of me that's inaccurate i get it i don't i'm not angry about it correct but i don't i don't want i don't want it to be any different i <laughs> This is what's <laughs> fucked up. I kind of like, I like the madness of it. Uh, I really do. I know what you feel. I, I, I wouldn't. On a exist. personal level, I can relate to that. Yes. If this world was logical, a person like me wouldn't have no place. Mm. Where someone just comes from doing some live stream on a fucking laptop, and then ten years later has hundreds of millions of downloads, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I think you're tapping into something that is that is universal. Uh, I think that. You know, when it comes to like, uh, I love studying history and 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 religion because those are some of the oldest insights into the way people think and the way people act. And within these frameworks are tons of uh, windows into human thought process and psychology. And it's the same as yours. None of it has changed over the oldest religious texts, the oldest historical things we can find, the stories that exist, the myths, all these things. They're all this. This is the same shit over and over and over mm-hmm. again. The first time I ever saw that was reading the Hagakure and seeing that the complaints and the, the issues, the criticisms that this monk, who was a former samurai had of his current era in the 19th century, are the same criticisms and problems and the same issues with people's uh, actions just deriving from the same human places of insecurity and, and psychological element. It's all the same shit. It, yeah. Nothing has changed. Like We're not any different than a person in the 6th century uh, in, in the Roman Empire or anything like that than, than anybody this this era. We're, we're not different people. We have different technology. We have, we have different communication in terms of which language you use, but we don't act differently. We're not driven right. from different impulses. We're not, you know, we're not Rousseau. We're not a blank slate, you know, um, I don't, I don't buy that concept at all because history would look so much radically different, but mm-hmm. it fucking doesn't. And I've written you so many times, and at times, whoever has your old number, who's probably <laughs> incredibly confused about what the fuck is this guy talking about, but uh, about how I think a person like you is critical to what, towards the interaction of the current um paradigm is you are a necessity because right wrong whatever your personal opinion is is whatever it's the fact of creating the ability for people to get out here and speak nobody ever had tulsi gabbard and uh bernie sanders in a place to feel more open and i'll say as politicians they probably were as open as they could be but they're fucking politicians in this current and the pi- paradigm of the Western politician, who knows how legitimately sincere any of those fuckers are. But this has been probably the only place that you could have had someone like that and allowed it to, to that window into their their least politician self. You know, I got to sit here and listen to 
uh, Andrew Yang talk about UBI and be like, nah, dude, I don't, I don't fucking buy it. But I like you. <laughs> you know, I fucking like you. Yeah. I like you. Uh, or do you, it's just it's just a matter of not being so pent up on, oh, God, well, well my narrative, my my ideology, my, my fucking I got to tribalize all this into such a degree that I have to tear down everything else around me so that mine can exist. And that even goes to with this this bourbon or anything I do. Like, I don't need to I don't need to cut other things down for mine to rise to to, to for other people to enjoy it. You don't have to you don't have to tear apart the mainstream media for yours to exist. You know, now, mind you, the mainstream media tries to destroy you all the time. But I think what, it's just players it, in, it, in yeah, the media. It is. The media itself is just a it's just a pathway for people to express themselves. It's very limited. I would say the media, among a lot of things, like there is a a, a good uh, for a term that I really like, it's called managerial elites. And so most things are big bureaucratic uh, uh, um, structures that have managers. And it's just all managers everywhere. And they're all operating into that human resource paradigm that Correct. we talked about yes. earlier. And they don't, flawed. they don't, managers don't usually create anything. And this is not to say that managers aren't an important thing. I think managers are very important. But how many times has anybody worked in a place where they have management that has is so divorced from the creative or from the the actuality of creating a product or maintain or or whatever the the job role is and yet these people are making decisions all the time and bleeding into telling people how to do their job instead of mm -hmm. managing people to be able to be best at their job. Right. Well, they're invested in it as well because they have mortgages and they have bills and they have all. The, they want the money to keep rolling in. So their idea is to make sure that whatever this thing that they're doing, whether it's a newspaper or whether it's a television show, they want to make sure that they stay in the most mm -hmm. wide mainstream of lanes. It's going to bring in the most money. And that's the weird part about media in general is that it's motivated by people that are trying to f seek a profit. That's what they're doing. And there's a giant machine behind them. Mm -hmm. We have two video editors and Jamie. That's the whole deal. That's the whole. And you can't you, you, this. This wouldn't exist any other way. Um, you would, if you had more people, you would have like, well, you need a more diverse uh, p uh, group of people working here. Oh, you need to hire this, and you need to hire. You don't support trans people, and where where is your money? Well, going? that's an or assumption of that's that's putting yeah. bad faith on you. That's thinking that as if some somebody who is uh, trans or what have you might show up uh, for a job that you need filled. And somehow you'd be like, well, because you're trans, you can't. No, if, if they're capable of doing the job, you hire the fucking person. I agree. But the way it looks in terms of optics, like people feel like they need to hire, you know, X amount of Asian people and X amount of this people. And the, there's a weird climate right now. Where, it's just a really bad heuristic. That's yes. all that is. That's it's, it's a horrible heuristic saying that the makeup of somebody's external or the makeup, the, the external makeup of a, of a company somehow has any real indication of its actual quality and character. Well, it's the lack of diversity is an assumption of prejudice. Correct. That's what it is. Like if you if you have a writing group, like if you're on a sitcom, I am just going to say this because it's true. The majority is going to be white males that are Jewish. 
Huh. Those are the writers on yeah. sitcoms, and they they're really good at it. I mean, there's a, a whole fucking culture attached to it. Okay. It doesn't mean that um, an Asian woman can't be a great sitcom writer. It doesn't mean, but Full if she, on. yeah, but it's it's a thing where there's there's in many of these businesses there's a tradition of of hiring a certain kind of people because they've been very effective at it, but. There's also, in a lot of these places, a meritocracy. Is there a boys club in a lot of these places? Where, yeah, there is. is uh, are they hiring their friends? For sure. Is, is it harder to get in in some of these places if you're someone different? I would yeah, imagine perhaps, so. Yeah. I would imagine so. Uh, there, there's all these different scenarios that can, that can lay themselves out. You know, some of it can even be perhaps that, that uh, the aggressiveness of men in, towards uh, acquiring certain positions yep. versus uh, the maybe a more subtle apo- approach a woman might take. That's the argument about why women don't make as much money. And that, is, that is the well, argument. I, you know, one of the things I like about when, when Peterson brings that up is, is and people always neglect this, is, is he goes, it, it almost seems as if really that perhaps women are just fucking smarter than us. Like they're just saner. They they're like, oh well, why be a maniac that only lives for this job? Instead, how about I be a person that does all these other fulfilling things in their life right. instead of driving myself into this this insane uh, um, near single minded obsession? Right. That's the only metric that we're judging success by is money. Correct. Which money is money and social status inside of a corporation. Right. And money's is, a great tool. Clearly, yeah. it can do a lot of things for people, and and you know it's a lot easier to to exchange money with people than to exchange livestock, fucking I don't know, giant buildings and pieces of stone. Like, right. what are you gonna fucking carry around a bunch of pieces of gold on you? I mean, come on, a, a bill is probably the simplest solution to to creating uh, ways of barter instead oh, of actually sure. having but i mean really what we're talking about is happiness yeah happiness is isn't about the things you own so difficult to measure yeah well i mean think yeah. of how happy someone might be buying something versus if you actually built it or think about how happy someone might be if they have this like really powerful career but they don't have a family mm-hmm. versus someone who does have a family who doesn't have any career really they just they make enough living to get by but they they love being around their tribe i keep telling people uh like um, there, there's 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 two people that I I really idealize. And I don't even know if they know this. So, Bill and Wanda Goldberg and and Michael Jai White and and Gillian are two couples with families that I look at them and I think this is proof that this is a thing that is that is creatable. You can have a beautiful, amazing family and and have a great relationship and you can continue to create and make great things and and you can you can really have it all it, it really is possible and i look at that and that, that that's what i want i want family i want to be able to create uh my own sort of you know tribe around that from a familial sense and i want to bring some i want to bring a child into the world and 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 pass along all that has been given and i say given to me by all these amazing people and all the amazing relationships and experiences that I've acquired throughout life. And I, I try to do that with my so-called quote unquote kids, my, my, my students. And I impart these, this lineage down to them, these experiences, this knowledge I give, I give to them and I give to my friends and I do as much as I can to keep the, keep the flame alive. Are you trying to tell me you got baby fever? (laughs) That's what I'm hearing. Have you found a gal? I, uh, you ready to shoot a live one into? uh, Well, you know, there's always practice. The practice is fun. Practice is. I don't want to fuck this moment up. Are you? Uh, are you done fighting? One hundred percent. No. 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 How I old still, are you now? Uh, Forty-two. 
When do you think you'll be done? When I'm done. Just when you're done. When I'm done. Yeah, you know, I don't know what that window is. I just know that I've got some fights left in you're me. You're still signed with Bellator? Still signed. And uh, what is the... They don't have a They have, they a have nothing going on for, right now. No, nothing that I know Isn't it interesting? Of. Like, why have they decided to not do events without an audience? I, I, I don't know. Because, well, I guess they need the gate. I, I personally would love to even run, like, uh, people have talked to me about running my blood sport events, my, my pro wrestling stuff that I've mm-hmm. been doing. And uh, me and GCW could easily put together a blood sport event with no audience. And as long as we got the the revenue to do so, like we'll fucking we'll make a killer event. We don't need an audience for what we create. Right. Uh, and the UFC has done a great job in the way they have been handling, testing, and putting people in. Um, one of my 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 best friend Eric Hammer, uh, Eric Aravello, he trains and works with Spike who fights in UFC right now, a uh, ginger-haired wild man. And he told me all about the process they put everybody through for testing, and he also works it's with Benil Dariush. And so, you know, hats off to the UFC for keeping people employed. I don't, I, And this isn't to, to, to knock at Bellator either, because they, I'm sure they have their reason and their rationale for, for running their, their business the way that they do. But the UFC found a way that they could create the opportunity to keep people working so to speak i think it's great i'm it glad that great. they're doing it and it, the testing is very rigorous and mm-hmm. it works like i mean we had a great fight this weekend that got canceled yeah, gilbert I feel burns was supposed to fight kamaru usman yeah but they had uh masvidal waiting in the wings luckily i mean i don't know how much masvidal has been training i don't know i don't know what the, the but he took it yeah he took, he took the gig I, it's you know very exciting props to them and um um yeah, it, it's a bummer for, the only other uh, fighter, yeah, it's a bummer for Gilbert. But yeah, he'll it's be a bummer back. for Gilbert. You know, he, uh, as long as he's healthy and he can come back. I actually thought it was a little quick for Gilbert to be getting right back in after five hard rounds with Tyron Woodley. I mean, that was just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, perhaps. Or I mean, maybe five weeks ago, six weeks ago, whatever it was. But um, the fights without a crowd are really exciting. It's real weird, man. You I know? I personally would probably love it. It. I love the quietness in mm. Japan when I fight. I fucking I, I think it's the best. Yeah, we should explain that. Um, I've only done one UFC in Japan, but it's amazing how polite the audience was. Mm-hmm. They they would really clap and applaud at strange things too, like uh, like someone escaping from half yes. guard. Well, they're, they're just so well educated. Yeah, you know, combat sports is such an integrated part of Japanese culture. Be mm-hmm. it doing judo or karate or something like that. It's just in grade school or middle school. I remember wa- watching them pass someone pass the guard and everybody, ah, oh, yeah, clap. yeah. They know like, what they're wow, looking at. That's crazy. They know what matters. Yeah, and, they and really it's, do. Uh, and you know, there's sometimes I, I really love the the raucous nature and uh, energy of an American crowd, but I think. At least for myself, uh, I just don't give a shit about anything else but going to war at that moment. I don't care about the crowd. I don't care about anything. All I want to do is is fucking kill. That's There's something wild about watching it when you're right there and there's no crowd because you could hear the huffing and puffing. Mm-hmm. You could hear the shit talk. You can hear the smack of a body shot. You hear everything. You hear the smack of shins when they check. You know, it's like it's a different experience, man. And I don't think it's better. You don't because, think it's better? No, no, no. Because there's something about like a Conor McGregor fight at the fucking sold out T-Mobile sure. Arena where everybody goes ape shit and Sh- yeah. Sinead O'Connor singing and there's blue smoke everywhere and or green smoke everywhere. There's something wild about that, too, where it's a spectacle. But there is something uniquely raw 
about these Apex fights, where they have them at the Apex Center, and then the one we did, one in Florida as well. There's something uniquely raw about no crowd. And intimacy I, versus intensity. Yeah, I don't know, but man, there's a lot of fucking intensity. Like that Tyron Woodley Gilbert Burns fight was fucking intense, man. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of intensity in these fights as well. It's hard to call. Well, I mean, when you have a crowd, again, like when a, a man uh, loses his mind and gains another, as this crowd starts to surge, you get pulled into it. Yeah. Uh, so if you've got a protest and you're out here to say like, hey fucking get your shit together and then someone starts lighting off fireworks in the middle of your crowd you know everyone or someone starts turning it into hey get your shit together hey we're gonna push your shit in right yeah 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 boom there it goes mentality there it goes people lose their shit and so uh plus or minus man uh you go out there and a fight goes on and and when the crowd reacts it's like oh this really matters oh yeah i'm into it now i i I, I'm, i'm involved yeah, you are, because everybody else around you is. Yeah, yeah. Of course you are. Right. Yeah, it's, they're both awesome. They're both awesome. I think that's a, I completely can get behind that. They're I a think slightly that's totally different valid. thing. They're a slightly different thing. You know, it's it's hard to wrap your head around it until you're actually experiencing a world-class fight. You know, five rounds with no audience. It's, they're different. Well, but yeah. it's fucking amazing. They're both fucking amazing. I'm glad that it's going on. I'm glad for the fighters. Uh, I'm looking forward to when when Scott and company get things up and rolling again. Mm. Uh, I just want to see the world in general just open up to when fights can be a thing. Well, one of the interesting things that seems to be happening, and I've been reading a lot about this, is um, one of the things is the CDC, the death rate of COVID has dropped so low, it's in, in consideration being for being removed from pandemic status. Oh, CDC said, okay. Yeah, so I think what's happening is younger people are getting it now because a lot of people, believe it or not, got it because of the protest. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> I know what a wild like, idea. What, what are you saying, what a Joe wild Rogan? Idea. You're talking nonsense. What are you, a right winger now? No, I'm not, and that's not what I'm. I mean, come on, folks. You get fifty thousand people, and I'm all. Yeah, by the way, I should say I'm a hundred percent in favor of protesting, but I'm also a hundred percent in favor of people wearing masks and Mm -hmm. going to a restaurant, which I just did. I was in Texas this last weekend, and in Texas, they got it nailed, man. Yeah, yeah, I know they have a lot of cases. They don't have look the debt. The the point is a lot of people in Texas. There's a lot of people, but also the death rate is lower for this round because it's. There's two two possibilities. One possibility is that it's lower because it's about to spike up and there'll be more deaths soon. The other possibility is uh, herd immunity, is that the, the virus is potentially getting weaker, like it's maybe possibly evolving. I've heard all these different arguments from all these different biologists. It's, whole, it's so hard to run down, especially when you're a moron like yes. me, to figure out what exactly is I'm right. I'm in the same exactly boat. I'm wrong. trying to make sense of it. My, my head distiller, David, is, used to work in infectious disease, and he's, he told me about the structure of the disease itself and why, why is soap and water so effective. Well, the, it emulsifies the fats around the virus itself, and it breaks it down. This is also why things like... Windex will kill it. Mm. You know, it's not particularly hardy. UV light kills it. UV light UV will kill light it. and sunlight kills Correct. it. Correct. Um, but he also says that, you know, coronaviruses are known for enjoying colder weathers. So fall and winter is a possibility. Mm. And then when you talk about spikes, so that thing, one of the things that really was, was in my mind when I was talking about people fighting tooth and nail to defend their 
use of mainstream media as their de facto sense-making apparatus is that um, I was posting stuff about wearing masks. And by the way, all the, peop the people that I listened to who were, who were giving me information, either stuff coming straight past the firewall in China, like weird Twitter accounts and YouTubers and whatever, I had my, my, my supplies end of January because, one, I live in an earthquake state and I needed to have it anyways. So it didn't make it wasn't like no skin off my nose. I didn't have enough. I wasn't storing water and whatever. And okay, I should have that just in case right. there's an earthquake. Right. So I'll do it for this. And then, but I had enough toilet paper. I had enough thing because I figured people are gonna be the big problem. That's what's right. that's the thing that I could, that's gonna affect this the most. Yeah. And uh, I told so many people, and they all look at me like, "What are you, some sort of fucking weirdo prepper?" And I go. I guess, but when I can wipe my ass, uh, you'll you'll be you know. Let's see what you do, and uh, let's see how much your cat likes it when when you got no more toilet paper left over. <laughs> You're fucking using your it. cat to wipe your ass. Well, that's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about food. Oh, food! Yeah, you can oh, always I, wash I your lots ass of food. in the shower yeah, if there's water. For sure, food um, and water is what's really. But I I was like, look, everybody, we need to be wearing masks, and people would fight me because the mainstream media said, don't wear masks. Uh, you know, we need masks for the, I'm not, I look, fuck face. I didn't say N95 mask, which by the way, there's also N99 and there's also P95 and P99. And there's, you don't even understand the classification of masks. And now you're going to fucking tell me when I've already done the research and I know what the difference is. And now you're going to just fucking put cloth over your face. Do something. When you had right. Lex on here, uh, fucking sweet dude, Lex Friedman. I love that guy. And he's just simply showing you that's enough. Yeah. And I said, look, if we're just wearing masks. As a guy who used to live in fucking Japan, it helps. Because a lot of people in Japan wear masks out of all, courtesy. It's just out of courtesy if they're feeling the sniffles or what have you. Uh, kaze, really interesting, it. isn't it? That, that that culture was so ahead of the curve when it comes to mask wearing with the with respiratory il yes. illnesses. Yes, full on. And and also it, because they're jammed on top of each other. Of course, there's that too. But they're all they they think about their own. They think about the honor of having their own social responsibility. For their and they've part had in things. a very low death rate. Very low, and then what, you know, what only, do they attribute that to? I think it's due to. Uh, I personally think it's due to just mask wearing on a cultural basis. I think it's due to uh, if you tell people in Japan, like, okay, hey, we got some shit coming up. Here's these three things that you need to do. They will do them. Right. It's the same reason why when you have. Uh, you have a natural disaster coupled with a nuclear issue like the uh, the Fukushima. tsunami, Fukushima, that the older people will come up and go, okay, hey, you younger guys, you've got families, you've, you've not lived as long as us, leave. We're going to go in. Mm. We'll take care of it. Mm. You know, that's why they will put together uh, – resource centers or, or, or fallout centers for people to, to house in while everything's destroyed and no one's getting raped and murdered. Mm. Whereas Katrina hits, you fill up the Superdome because holy shit, man, there's all these people that are displaced. It is, it's, it's, you guys are suffering like mad. Okay. Well, we got this, at least this, this piece of property that we can use to try and help people out. And it turns into a fucking nightmare in that place. That won't happen in Japan. It's just not the way that they are. I find that so fascinating how cultures evolve so differently. 
There, there, it's it's just so interesting that human. I mean, e- even the negative aspects of it. Like I was talking to a, a friend of mine once. We were talking about communism and the the threat of communism. Oh, you don't have to worry about that here. And I'm like, listen, man, the people that live in North Korea are humans mm-hmm. in 2020. Correct. And they are under the grip of a military dictatorship. Correct. Like there's no getting around that. The people that live in the United States in 2020 are not. No. But they're just humans yep. on Earth during the same time, and there's styles of living. It's a weird, weird way to look at it, but if you look at it in terms of sk- styles of living, there are styles of living. And these, these styles of living, whether, whether you're in a cult or whether you're in a commune or whether you're a part of uh, a Republican town mm-hmm. or whether you're uh, living in Chaz yeah. before they tore it down, there's styles of living. And some styles are far more problematic than others. And the style of living that we should really be worried about is top-down power. One yes. person like a Kim Jong-un yep. who's running the whole fucking show. And if you don't cry when his dad dies, you have to go to jail for six months. Correct. And I, I spoke to people. I had a conversation with someone a long time ago. And I go, well, look, the problem is if if you have the ability to at least vote, I mean, and we can, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion about how effective our votes are anymore. But at least there is some semblance of us being a part of the process and being able to freely protest and do other things to try and influence the way government is going. When you have this massive top-down structure, it's just not going to happen. They're going to dictate from top-down. Plus, it's the idea that you can can predict everything that everyone's going to need all the time. And that's just impossible. You can't predict every necessity. You can't predict every every problem that's going to come. It's just not... You can't do it. Well, this virus has shown that for sure. Well, long supply chains. You want to you want to push all your manufacturing out to other places. You want to stretch out all mm-hmm. your supply lines. Or how about all the people running businesses on the edges all the time? Like, yeah. oh, if you get money, don't save it, spend it, go into you know buy more debt to do this with it, and then all of a sudden this happens. It's like, well, you're fucked because you didn't save anything. You didn't see it coming. Yeah, you missed it. You missed this opportunity to yeah. I mean, and look, I would not want to be a mayor or a governor right now. No. But you're also seeing the different ways mayors and governors handle these things, and you know, some of them are uh, of the idea that you should be willing to let your people take chances, and these people should, if they want to, they should be able to make a living. They should be able to wear a mask and protect the elders and protect yeah, the sick I people. Mean, there is a. There is a possibility to create protocols to take into consideration the unknown and protect as many people as... I mean, I've been wearing a mask. Every public place I go to, I wear a mask. I just do. And... And do you attribute your time in Japan for, like, your sensitivity yeah, to that, that? That and just uh, what, what, I, what, what I understand, what little I will say I understand, um, from even reading people like Nassim Taleb, or Balaji Srinivasan, or any of the, or epidemiologists, or talking to my head distiller, or my student Mary, who literally works on COVID machines in a microbiology lab. Really? Okay, I can understand a little bit, but I know that even they don't have all the information. Nobody can. Right. It's novel because it's new. Now I know that they've been studying Chinese horseshoe bat coronaviruses since like 2015, or maybe even sooner than that, especially after the issue that the world had with SARS. So, of course, it starts to become a priority. Fine. But here we are, here and now. What I don't know, I'm not going to just assume that things will just be fucking fine. 
That's, that's just not a way I can approach things. What I have to do is what I can take on responsibility for myself, okay, that's mine. But for other people, different story. And when I can do something as simple as wear a mask and be in public, I'm not damaging. I, I'm insuring myself and others mm. from hardly doing anything. Well, we also talked about before the podcast, you take the necessary precautions to protect your own health. Mm-hmm. In terms of supplementation, in terms of yes, yeah. of course, and 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 following up on any kind of studies and just any previous understanding of, of supplementation in regards to other viruses and, and infection and things like that, but also as when I when this first came down, uh, I had stuff to protect my eyes. I had N95 masks. I had a Tyvek suit if need be. What's a Tyvek suit? Uh, they usually use them for painting and things like that, but oh, you can Jesus. duct tape them off and what have you. And so you can outbreak. Create, who knows, right? But I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's right. going to happen. I just know that I don't want to get fucked. Yeah, that was the big fear. When, when the shit hit the fan, the big fear was that this was going to be something that we really had to worry about that was going to kill you know, a and giant it percentage. Been. Of the, it could have been. been. could have been. Uh, but then, okay, so it's not that bad at least, right? So, But for a while there... What I would do is when I would leave the house, I had my outdoor clothes and my indoor clothes. When I came back in the house, I took all my shit off in my little foyer, put it in the corner, cleaned, took a shower, cleaned up, then put on my indoor clothes. Really? To make sure that if I was an issue, all right, I'm not, I don't know what this virus can or will do. But I'm, I'm going to avoid bringing it into my house as best Damn. as possible. Josh Barnett was going all out. And so then... As I started to learn that, okay, doesn't seem like it's this, like, it is gnarly, it's real, but it's gnarly to certain people, and... I have a few friends with it was nothing. Yeah. I, I am under I think, the impression to be honest, I think I have already had strain. it. I think I got it. Well, we're going to find out yeah. in 25 minutes. Yeah. Um, I think that, to be honest, I really believe there's several strains, and I've read that, but I mean, it only makes sense. There may be a few strains for sure, although... Um, from what sources I have, uh, coronaviruses and are not—they're—they're they're not the kind of thing that mutates very much. And what they're more likely to do is become more benign and not more uh, aggressive. I have heard that, but I also have heard that the strain in India is so vastly different than the strain here that if they develop a uh, vaccine for the strain that's in North America, it literally won't work for what's in India. Yeah, possibly. You know, not yeah. enough curry. Ah. <laughs> It's a turmeric thing. It's a turmeric thing. Um, for sure, this is a, a trying time for us. I mean, it is for everybody. You know, think about being yeah. in India. Think about being in all these other places. Mm-hmm. It's it is, it is. It's also like really ramped up all the anger. I think a lot of it oh. comes to fear. There, yeah, and there's fear. The unknown is one of the greatest motivators or creators of fear. But I would say that this reminded me a lot from Get. As soon as it was like, okay, we need to shelter in place or uh, safer at home or whatever the case it may be. And it just made me think of Cormac McCarthy uh, in No Country for Old Men. He mm. wrote, uh, you know, you can you can change your name. You can do this. You can do that and go, go to some other place. And, you know, but at the end of the day, when, you, when you're laying there in bed and you look up at the ceiling, it's, uh, it's just yourself staring back at you. And uh, you're you're made up of the of the the days that came before and nothing else. So you can cry and change what all, but you're not any different. You're the same person. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. You're still you. And so these people 
are having to sit there at times, especially those that don't, you know, there's these people in a relationship where they're now starting to realize, well, what kind of relationship do I really fucking have? Like, Mm. what is this built upon? Or even sitting at home and people having to sit there and basically be in the mirror all day long with themselves. Mm. And how many people are really, how many people are really built upon the, the foundational tools of like fulfilling meaningful things, like things that I here I don't want to die tomorrow, today, not even five years from now, not ten. Hell, if given the chance, I would fucking live a thousand years if I could because I think that this world is so fucking amazing that there is. There, I don't think I could learn all the languages, eat all the foods, even the ones I don't like, see all the mountains, all the architecture, meet all the people, all the cultures, all the fucking everything that exists in this just glorious fucking amazing place. I don't know that I, I feel sad that my life can't go on long enough to, to know these things. And uh, uh, but I've lived such a life to this point. There are things that 10-year-old me would just have just fucking had a, 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 an aneurysm thinking that this was ever going to be the way his life turned out, considering what an, an outcasted, uh, uh, you know, pushed aside, bullied, fucked with, you know, really sort of uh, twisted up, confused young lad and getting to where I am now. And I can leave this place and die and my life has been all fucking great i've i've li- i'm fulfilled i i live because i want to experience things i want to create more i want to do more with my life but my life has been great enough it's been great i've had all the things that i need that are that's essential success in life. that's real success uh, yes now it's real success it's is, hard to find it is very hard to find but getting through the all the adversity and coming out on the other end better for it yeah i'm more concerned like in an ensign in a way way i want to die right Mm. i think more about that you know or like the stoics how to you know i want to die right i want to go to valhalla i want to i don't want to die a pathetic way from living an epic life Mm. um that's more of a concern uh in in terms of death but otherwise now death is there death is coming death's alongside me death's riding in the car with me everywhere i go and that's fine he's a good he's a good fucking wingman that's great (laughs) Well, there's there's that energy that comes with death that's that makes life so exciting. If right. you were immortal, it'd be like playing God mode in a video game. Is it's not exciting. No. Have you be, ever played God mode in video games? You know I fucking have. Yeah. I hey, you Boring had Carmack on here, right? Yeah. So I fucking played Doom scared me as a kid when we like <laughs> my friends like check this shit out. You know, it was like a fucking secret drug deal. Yes. Like popping the little discs in the library computers. We're like, "Okay, okay, what's this?" You know, it was just yeah. what a freak out. Um, yeah, I played God mode and God mode's games. whack. Yeah, it's it, terrible because you can't die. Nope. For people who don't know what we're talking about, when you play God mode, you have unlimited ammo and you can't die. Yeah, you can't it, die. It ruins You're life. Invincible. Yeah, it's, it ruins the game. Games exactly. are thrilling, but a video game where you're playing in God mode is terrible. And the reason why is because there's no consequence. There's no it's risk. The same thing as life. There's no risk. If yes. there's no risk, if there's no struggle, if there's no there's no there's no overcoming. And you know, it's it's like I always say, like I always say, uh, I have this I a concept of human entropy that all humans without proper suffering and overcoming, to use some just some you know some generic words, uh, obviously from a Nietzschean perspective, 
uh, you just go to your lowest state of energy. Mm. Like people are all, all things in the universe are subject to entropy and humans are no different. And so obviously we experience entropy and then our bodies break down and obviously we have cellular degradation and things like that. But, uh, but we can, we can spiritually degrade. And if we don't, uh, have proper overcoming, if we don't have a certain kind of suffering in our life or, 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 or agitation, we don't, Agitation is a great way of Agitation is a great, yeah. And, uh, and I'm also a big fan of uh, Heidegger, so like being towards death, you know, knowing that this is inescapable. Stop trying to, to look for anything to alleviate the burden of your own death and the responsibility of your own creation of an authentic life. You, cause at the end of the day, you can do all these different fucking things. You can change your mind. You can, you can become a, an, um, this kind of an, uh, fucking ideological, you're a communist or you're a alt-right or you're this or you're that you can create all these little things. You can be a, a Christian or a, a, a Catholic or whatever, right? You can, you can, if you're using these things to replace your, your ownership of authenticity and, the carrying the burden of your own being in the world, then eventually, regardless of all this shit that you do, when you're laying in bed at night and you're looking up at that fucking ceiling, you know that you're a fucking fraud and that you're <laughs> you you have offload you've tried to offload something yes. that you can't get rid of. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Well put. I tell people don't ever seek comfort. Seek clarity and seek improvement. You're not gonna comfort sucks. Comfort's, comfort's, comfort's great for a couple hours. You want to chill and watch a movie, but comfort as a lifestyle is bullshit. It's like you're yeah. you're not going to get any improvement. You need to be tested. That that term agitation is excellent. How how far did you start shooting arrows at to practice? Well, I was really fortunate that I was taught by great people. You know, Cam Haynes taught me, and you know, he had me probably like 15 mm -hmm. yards at first practicing 10 yeah. 15 yards and now yeah. where do you shoot at well in here i shoot at 45 sure. yards but i have a range at the house that goes to 85 okay. yards but you had to get there yeah you know I, I went shooting yesterday and uh um pistols pistols and you know i can i can put some groups together and honestly part of that's because you know the the, the pistols i'm using are fucking they're accurate enough to do it it's it's not them it's me and i like to to you know, go not not just shoot shit at ten yards and six yards. Like, okay, well, ten yards is fine or whatever. But unless I'm doing a specific you know, motion derived drill, I don't. Whatever, man. I can hit center mass and I can hit ahead all the time. I don't care about that. I want. I keep pushing it out as far as I can go in the in the indoor range. Difficult. Yeah, well, because I want to get better. And yes. I, you know, I bring it back in. I'm like, it's not. It's not not good enough. And yeah. I've uh, been shooting my old uh, 44 auto mag. As much as I can uh, recently, especially they're starting to make new ones. They're gonna re redevelop, revamp, and re re put this fucking thing out there. And I'm like, oh yes, wow. thank God I can get new parts. That's a fucking cannon. <laughs> it's great. It's uh, the original cartridge was made by taking like a .30-06 or .308 uh, rifle cartridge. You put it in a in a in a base block and you and you you cut it down to size. You ream it, flare it, and then you make your ammunition out of that using a .429 caliber bullet I, I i reload uh oh, do you really yeah i'm a reloader i grew up reloading shooting hunting fishing so all that when kind of stuff. you shoot rounds you save your shells i i if it's 44 auto mag yes or 475 wildy or any of these kind of wildcat weird things that i shoot yeah i reload uh but if it's just 45 it's cheaper to just buy 
whatever, mm-hmm. you know, regular shoot 'em up ammo. But you probably that. get a satisfaction out of reloading, right? Oh, 100%. Because, it, again, it's the being involved in the process and the creating mm-hmm. part of it. And one of the things why I love my auto mag so much is because, well, one, I'm a fucking weirdo. So if everybody says, hey, do the easy thing, no, I want to do the weird and odd thing. I want to go, yeah. and, no, why do jujitsu when you can catch wrestling, right? <laughs> but uh, why use a manual or an automatic transition? Yeah, when I use a manual. Why use an iPhone? <laughs> So, uh, you know, for me, it was, yeah, let's buy this gun made in 1970 and it has an incredibly rare amount of spare parts available and reloading data and all this stuff. Like, yeah, sure. I'm game. Yeah, I'll do it. And a lot of kick too, right? It's not that bad, actually. Um, I mean, it kicks pretty substantial, but I've seen women shoot them with no problem. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I learned to the point of taking the, in fact, I dislocated my shoulder fighting Crow Cop. So I couldn't work on my my Cobra, uh, my Mustang, and I, I couldn't even drive it at the time. I was like, well, this blows. What can I do? All right, well, while my arm's in a sling, I'm going to take this my auto mag apart and completely take it down to the frame, have the frame be blasted, put it all back together. And then I, I was on this forum, so I'm talking with this legendary uh, Pistolero, uh, rest in peace, Lee Juris, who is famous for creating these custom badass auto mags and like taking antelope with auto mags at, at like 200, 300 yards. Really? Yeah. Jesus He's bonkers. Christ. He is so incredible. That's and he a was crazy shot. Chatting with this fucker. Freehand? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, or he could use sticks and freehand, whatever. Like the guy is like one of the great American pistol shooters. Wow. And so... Uh, I'm sitting there just chatting with this guy on direct message on fucking forums. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, when you're going to, if you want to slick this action up, here's here's the type of uh, compound I would use. Here's this. You know, here's the places. And so here I am just fucking away, playing around on this little, this tinkering around on this piece. And I'll you know, put my gun back together and you know, take go out and shoot it. And it just fucking cloverleafs things. And it's just you know it's brilliant but it's also the brilliant that regardless whether it's pistols or what it doesn't matter the thing you're learning you're putting yourself in the position to where okay well you're going to make mistakes and 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 now you're part of that creative process by being as involved in the whiskey it it means that much more to me but i also don't know any other way to do it like i probably could have had someone make that playlist for spotify for me or just Thrown in a few tracks and then just use the the recommendation at the bottom. Yeah, but it wouldn't be all that weird, obscure fucking death shit that you like. <laughs> it wouldn't be dissection. Yeah, it wouldn't be. Uh, there's yeah, Melvins yeah. are in there. The Bronx. All yeah, kinds you're of one great of those shit. guys who likes bands that I've never heard of. Yeah, I bet you'd like the Bronx. I'm sure. I know you'd like the Bronx. I'm sure. they're, they're not a death metal band. What are they? They're, they're a hardcore punk band out of L.A. Okay. And you would like them. Oh, okay. Send me a text message. Fuck yeah. Let's let's do it. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. Um, but it's just being involved in the process yeah. and, and starting from not knowing anything and then that overcoming, man. Yeah, I, I can't agree more, man. I, I love learning shit and I love doing new things. I love being a beginner. I think being a beginner is like really rewarding. And I think that as you get better in things where you're just starting out in these things, I really feel like it enhances everything you do. I just think I think it just adds an edge to to your mind. And as a person who does this for a living or I talk to people for a living, I think it's crucial because if I just did the same thing over and over and over again, I'd be I I would have I wouldn't have any frame of references. I wouldn't I wouldn't have any interest in like it fuels my curiosity, which is, I think, the, one of the most important parts of what I do. I have to be curious. And, and I just happen to be, which is why it worked out in the first place to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. But 
it's fueled by doing new things. Well, and your your podcast, like anything else anybody does, will take on evolution. Yeah. And one of the things that I would say in regards to you is the way people talk about you, to me, says more about them than it ever says about you. And when I have someone, uh, let's say, you know, respond and, and, and take a bunch of uncharitable takes, I'm like, oh, you actually don't fucking pay attention, do you? You're really not listening. You're not listening at all. You don't understand anything that what Joe's creating here. You, 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 have no, you, you have no clue. And you're telling me not about Joe at all. You're only telling me about yourself. And I, I just, through everything you do, that opportunity for new pathways, new growth, better understanding. What is it, the Maya Angelou quote, uh, we do the best we can, and when we know better, we do better. Mm. And that's a really simple way of looking at things. But when we know better, we can do better. When we know better, whether we do better, we can just do differently sometimes. And seeing this pro- the, the progress of this podcast like I told you, I talk to people from the internet dark web. Now, I talk to the IDW guys. I talk to um, Dr. So. I talk to James Lindsay. I talk to Eric Weinstein. I, I've been to dinner with Eric. And there's probably other people I'll meet through this. And for me, it's just I want to be exposed to all these people's ideas and thoughts and these conversations, especially when they're going to be in areas of expertise I'm not an expert. Yeah, it's fascinating. And for me, it's very valuable to be able to get those people's thoughts and yours as well, to get them out to the world. I think it's very beneficial. And I think for a guy like you, it's very beneficial because they look at you. And again, if they looked at you on the outside, they go, oh, the youngest ever fucking UFC heavyweight champion has got some shit to say. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, I get a lot of this. Uh, of oh, I'm so surprised that, uh, you know, I really didn't expect the, this, that or the other. And I'm like, well, okay. Yeah, yeah, but that's just preconceived notions. And it's also, it's more comforting for someone to look at a barbarian like you and say, well, he's got to be dumb. And then when you're not, then they'll try to diminish whatever salient points you've had. And that's, again, it says more about them than it does oh, really I've about you. I've seen it on Twitter where they're like, People oh, well, you could, you, well, you know, what a dummy you are. Clearly you've been hitting the head too much. <laughs> they love like, to do that. People right, love cool. to do that. But that's that's also the sign of a loser of course it is it's a sign of someone that doesn't actually want to engage in anything in in good faith it's also they don't want other people to be good at things yeah they don't like it they don't like exceptional people of course and i could have said i i feel like um personally that i've uh, uh, something i've had to deal with in my life is that i think that there was or is maybe even still this idea this construct of what I'm supposed to be and how successful or what have you, I'm, I'm, I should be right. And if I exceed that, people get pissed that I'm somehow doing something in a way that they don't think I should be, or that I'm getting notoriety in a way they don't. That I'm no, no, no. You're not supposed to be that person. Now you're supposed to be this and only this. Mm. And if you exceed that, fuck you. For, for not being what I want you to be. And what they don't understand is that that's fucking them. Of course it's they them. They don't understand that though. They think that somehow or another, I mean, I mean, I don't mean it's, I don't mean that's them. I mean, it's fucking them over. Yes. That, that mindset is fucking them. It's, it's when you want someone to do poorly, you're exposing the flaws in your own thinking, exposing your own personal weakness. 
It's, it's super unhealthy. And I used to have it, man. I used to, I used to want comedians to fail mm-hmm. when I first started doing it. I, I used to want people to get their ass kicked when I first started doing martial arts. Mm-hmm. I used to want that because I, I, I was a weak person, and I didn't, but I realized it. And I said, oh, this is a trap. Like I've, I have this thing where I am fearful that I'm not rising to the level of my full potential. And so I want other people to fail. So that where you're at at this point can then still can be the new, uh, the new peak. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as you're only halfway up the mountain, as long as nobody gets higher than that, it's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized that when I was like 21 and I, I really, I remember real distinctly the time period when I recognized it. I just recognized that I, I had a deep flaw in the way I was looking at things, and um, and I realized like, oh, this is a this is weak. Mm-hmm. And then and then, but once I recognized it as a weakness, it was impossible to embrace it anymore. Then I realized like, oh, okay, that feeling of discomfort that you get when it, when looking at someone who's clearly better than you at stuff. That should be a blessing. You should be happy that that person exists because that person is fuel. That's going to motivate you to do better. As long as you approach it with the right mentality, as long as you don't become a hater. Mm-hmm. Haters are all losers. There's yes, no haters winners. Are losers. There's no winners that are haters, and they don't even realize that every time they hate, they think they're getting you or getting that guy or taking her down or or throwing these jabs out there, and that it's going to work and make you feel bad. What they don't realize is they're literally stealing time away from their own interests and loves. They're caging themselves yes. to be only as good as they are at that moment. It's super dangerous. It's really bad for you. Yes, it and is. And it's it so is. intoxicating and so easy to fall into. Well, nobody lies to themselves more than themselves. Right. And uh, unfortunately, we are the best at finding every excuse we can to justify our position. And it's just like, okay, getting your, I'm dealing with whatever from all this ideological poisoning and all this shit in my own home. And yet, at the end of the day, instead of going out there and just being like, look at how terrible everything is and, and just com- taking a very surface level understanding, just being like, well, it, it sucks and I'm going to tell you it sucks and I'm going to tell you that this person sucks and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, is that, okay, even the ideological stuff it's not all bullshit. Not everything is a lie. It, and, and it wasn't necessarily created just to damage me. Like, stop stop making it all about right, myself. And even right. then, it's also like, okay, if all you can do is say something bad about the person that you chose to be in a relationship with, then that says more about you than them. And to think that I would never be involved in somebody, with somebody, that I didn't love and enjoy. And so to say that regardless of how things finished – that doesn't mean to, to sit there and say that that which was negative takes precedent over anything else is a really myopic way of viewing yes. things. And it's more or less, I would see it as a tool to to narrow your focus into that which you you want to take precedent, which you so you can you can justify your your grievance in this instead of saying, Okay, well, I, I can have a real grievance, and that's totally acceptable. And I can I can create I can I can justify it. I can show for the grievance itself. But this wasn't only a grievance. The whole thing itself isn't nothing but grievance. It isn't nothing but bad. If it is, then it's on your fucking ass. Yep, that's it. Seek clarity, kids. Warbringer, Warmaster Edition. 
Go get it. Where can they get it? Uh, they can get it from the website, warbringerbourbon.com. Uh, slash Warmaster, and we ship to everything but I think maybe only seven states. And it is available in some uh, liquor stores. Obviously, can't get it at any bars really right now since they're not open. But uh, it is, yeah, go through the website. Use Warbringer10 to get 10 bucks off. And uh, Instagram and Twitter is? Josh L. Barnett. Uh, I have a website up, www.joshbarnett.com. It is now the fortress for the Warmaster on the web. And uh, I'm taking over that Spotify playlist. Use the Warmaster's workout to get fucking jacked as <laughs> shit. <laughs> and we're going to test you for the cooties. Hell yeah. All right. Thanks, brother. Appreciate I love you, being man. here. Yeah, thank always, you. Always a pleasure. Bye, everybody. That was great, man. Three hours. I always get... You know what?